All right, we're going to go live Lost in like four seconds. <laughs> so I guess we're good. The music's going to start. It'll be about a minute, and then we'll start you up. Yeah. All right. No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison, and uh, believe it or not, no episodes since May, I know. And what kind of a clown show comes back uh, after a four-month hiatus or so for their season finale? Only only this show, so you're listening to it now. But we are wrapping up the season with an absolutely monstrous episode, and one I've wanted to do for quite some time. I alluded to it back in May when we did our week of shows uh, the subject which we're going to discuss tonight has been on my mind all year, uh, which really is no surprise given the state of the media and state of the world today. Uh, this, I got into this, folks, to give you a little history lesson. I got into all this uh, like back in the year 2003, and uh, one of the big catalyst events for me was attending the first ever X conference in Washington, D.C., and it was spearheaded by tonight's guest. And since then, uh, he has kept at it. He's kept pushing for UFO disclosure, and this year has been just uh, probably the most exciting year I've seen for UFOs since I got into all this, and uh, I was really excited about disclosure when I first started looking at the subject back in 2003, and, and like a lot of people who are in this field, uh, got very cynical over the years and kind of gave up on the possibility, but our guest and I did not give up on the possibility, and it seems like He's closer than ever, and I'm very excited. And as a, someone who's a hardened cynic about this uh, after spending a decade plus in the field, uh, I, I'm more excited about the UFO subject and what might be coming down the pike than I have been in quite some time. And I want to talk to our guest tonight, Steve Bassett, about this uh, for the season finale. And in a way, and I'm sure the listeners who've been waiting four months or so for an episode uh, will, will vehemently disagree, in a way it works out quite well timing-wise, because here we are in the fourth quarter of the 2016 presidential election, uh, an election unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. And who knows what's going to happen, but we're on the cusp of a new era one way or the other, uh, starting in January. So this is the perfect time to talk about it, because I think uh, things seem to be percolating. Our guest, of course, is Stephen Bassett, the director of the Paradigm Research Group. If you are interested in the subject of UFOs, folks, you pretty sure you uh, have heard of him by now. He's been mentioned in just about every major newspaper uh, you know, in, in America and England and all points uh, – around the bend. He's really made a lot of news this year, uh, and uh, he's, he's very excited about the possibility for UFO disclosure. I know that for a fact. So uh, welcome back to the show, Stephen. As I said, you had a huge influence on me and on this program, and uh, 
very happy for, for what's going down right now, I think. Yeah, it's nice to be with you, Tim. And, uh, well, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed. We may be finally uh, at a at a point where we're going to see this issue move forward. It certainly seems that way. It certainly seems that way. Now, I guess, like I said, we're in the fourth quarter here of this uh, presidential election. So, uh, you know, you know, like the, yeah, the doomsday clock of the apocalypse. Where are we? Where are we at as far as like the doomsday clock of UFO disclosure? I mean, how how are you feeling? Because Obama's only got what four months left here in office. So, uh, you know, as I said, we're on the cusp of new era, one way or the other. What do you think is going to happen? Well, it's. It's a very complicated situation. It, it's not. We're talking about history happening at a very high level, and it's not simple, not easy to explain, not easy to follow. Most people are not even aware. Very, not that many people are actually aware of what's happening. Um, but I'll explain it as best I can. The, uh, you know, it's it's not, it's not, and it's not about UFOs. It's about extraterrestrials. Um, mm-hmm. uh, UFO is the term that got. Stuck. We got stuck with way back, right, right, in the early '50s. But uh, it hasn't been about that for a long time. Right. We're interested in who's driving the cars, not the, uh, uh, of course, not, not yeah. the, uh, not the cars themselves. So, for the last 70 years, there has been a political policy. Uh, I call it political. It, 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 it's a little bit more than that, but it, it's been a policy that the government, uh, United United States with the cooperation of many other nations and then some other nations operating on their own, but in concert, um, that the presence of extraterrestrials would not be acknowledged to the world's people. Um, and it's no, it's no different than, than many other, it's no different than many other situations that have occurred over the, over the years. Uh, there was a time when uh, certain rights were not, uh, were denied to, uh, People of color in the United States. There were there were times when the right to vote was denied to women. Uh, there was a time when the um, uh, independence or the ability to rule their own country was denied to to India and 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 many other countries that were under colonialism. And I can go on and on and on. Uh, and what happened is that efforts were were conducted to change those policies. Uh, and they were the ones I mentioned, obviously successful. It's their, it's basically the area of social activism. And so, it, it, so it, in one way, dealing with this issue is no different than that. And those are a little easier for people to get their minds around. Hmm. Yeah, women wanted to vote. The government said, no, you can't. And so they went at it for quite a few years, actually, decades. And then the government said, oh, yes, you can now. And so the question is, when will the U.S. government, in in a collective sense, finally uh, uh, give us the truth on this matter? And the truth, of course, is there is an extraterrestrial presence. That's going to happen one day. And I believe uh, a good case could be made that it's just about to happen. It had to happen eventually. It's about to happen. Now, were we going to get uh, – was everybody going to get an email to this effect? Was it going to be <laughs> a bunch of people marching through the street with giant banners? No. Uh, it will happen quickly. It will happen suddenly. Uh, because, again, this, this issue, like every other issue, has its own unique aspects. And so the most highly classified matter in the U.S. government, and probably in any other government that's dealing with it, 
in a, in a meaningful way. There are countries that have no no not dealing with it at all. They just have no 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 part in this, no engagement. Yeah. And 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 so we'll just put this and set it aside. But we are talking about the United States or Canada or France. We're talking about uh, uh, certainly Russia and many other nations and China. Um, at some point, uh, they're going to say yes, there are extraterrestrials. And what brings that about? Well, part of it is, is is the political activism, the disclosure advocacy movement has been underway, I think, with some vigor since 1990, about 91, 92. Though the efforts to bring the truth to the people have go back to the to the really the early 50s. Um, but a, a more organized social activist movement or truth advocacy movement doesn't really have much of a chance to get going until 92. Yeah. So we're now in about 20 years, a little over 20 years. And the, 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 what you have to do in an activist movement is you have to generate the circumstances. You have to take advantage of what you're given, uh, advantage of events that are happening around you, uh, and find the set of circumstances that allows you to, quote, win the game or checkmate the government, in a sense, on that policy. If that means... People rush, go, you know, taking buses into the south of the United States and marching up and down uh, streets, marching over bridges down there, being attacked by police dogs and fire hoses and having all go out on the television, changing the dynamic. If that's what it takes, that's what you do. If it, if it, uh, if it means protesting in Washington D.C. or all around the country. For women's suffrage, that's what you do, and we know kind of what happened in India, with the uh, a, a, the ability to end the uh, the Indian uh, co- co- uh, the colonization of India or, or apartheid. We we know the circumstances that ultimately came to bear there. Well, let me just jump in because I'm confused in a sense, uh, and and I I will say, Steve, I love you, man. I'm going to play devil's advocate from time to time, so don't don't uh you know don't bitch slap me, but. Uh, these things that you're talking about, though, these movements, they and they clearly, as you just described, generated these uh, these massive humanity protests. I mean, I don't see how ufology or UFOs, the subject is going to is going to do that unless there's some kind of enormous sea change. I can't even imagine what the circumstances would be that would generate the the, the human response that you're describing that these other movements have. Well, there is one. You're right. And uh, because of the nature of this issue, which is unique in many respects, uh, like, unlike the ones we're most familiar with from the 20th century, um, this issue is quite special. Um, mm. We're talking about, obviously, something as extraordinary as non-human intelligence engaging us uh, from other star systems with interstellar travel. Um, that's a big deal. But most importantly... It has been sequestered, it has been embargoed through the national security structure, through massive classification, disruption, and so forth. Um, what we call the truth embargo used to be called the UFO cover-up. And so marching in the streets wasn't going to do it. Uh, it's kind of get it's kind of difficult to get people to go to Washington and march up and down the mall, which is not an easy thing to do and cost a huge sum of money. Uh, about an issue the government says doesn't even exist. Uh, that, right. That's tough for people to get their mind around. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so what do you do? Well, it, not much. And, and and as I said, up through 92, there were two reasons why this movement had no chance whatsoever of succeeding. 
in achieving its goal as opposed to some of the others I mentioned. One was the Cold War, this, uh, this nuclear standoff between the United States and the Soviet Union, virtually eliminated any possibility that the government would yield on this issue. It, it, it was too easy to justify the truth embargo on the ET issue based upon the concerns for national security, given the thousands of nuclear weapons that were pointed at each other across the poles between us and, and, and Russia. And there were a few other nations involved as well. They could have gotten dragged into a nuclear war because they had nuclear weapons. It just wasn't going to happen. That's the first reason. And the second reason, up until 92, there was no Internet. Hmm. And so World War II ends, Bill Clinton becomes president, and the, and the Internet starts to emerge. These three factors were the three things that had to come together to make it possible to end this particular government policy. And these are pretty substantial factors. End of the Cold War, obviously huge. The beginning of the Internet, considered the most profound, uh, uh, by many, the most profound technological shift in human history. And then the election of Bill Clinton, which was highly improbable. He, he should, he, no one thought he could be the president. No one thought he could win the election. Uh, nobody had heard of him. He came out of nowhere, and he beat an incumbent president who was the, you know, the prince of the national security world. Uh, a man who had been CIA director and vice president and senator, uh, a man who eventually they named the CIA headquarters after, George H.W. Bush. But those three things had to happen, and they did. And uh, then the fourth thing that sets this extraordinary series, of event, the extraordinary series of events that are leading to this profound moment in our human history was that uh, for reasons known only to him, Lawrence Rockefeller decided that uh, the truth embargo should end right away, which made some sense. And in March of 93, he approached the, the Clinton administration with the intention of really doing just that, getting Clinton to release the files in the government hands, which would have pretty much done the job, and even to grant amnesty for witnesses that would come forward, what we now call the Rockefeller Initiative. And so that takes place between 93 and 96. And that's the fourth thing. Uh, and you may say, well, okay, then uh, why didn't we get uh, a result? Why, why did not we finally see, uh, see the end of the truth embargo and the acknowledgement of the ET presence in 93 or 4 or 5 or 6? And the reason for that is that whatever Clinton might have wanted to do with that, he was not able to. And one of the reasons was the politics of the United States by 92 was starting to turn sour, like, like milk that had been sitting out in the heat for uh, a long time, mm -hmm. and get ugly. And the, Clintons, the Clinton administration was beset by just an endless stream of partisan attacks of every kind. Justified, unjustified, doesn't really matter. And that tied his, his administration up. It, mm -hmm. it used up the political capital and created a great deal of, of pressure. And the second reason was is that after the Cold War ended, there were still plenty of people within the national security structures who still did not want this out, meaning, yeah, yeah, the Cold War's over, but we... We, the people can't handle this truth. Uh, we don't think they have a right to know anyway. It's classified. It's just, just our, it's our deal. Right. We'll take care of it. You just go away and leave us alone. Uh, and uh, so as a result, it did not happen. I think one of the things that we think did happen was that 
like uh, uh, Jimmy Carter uh, when President Clinton started asking. And we know we have some letters, some of the, some of the, some of the documents that we obtained show that they, you know, the Air Force has contacted some others. They, they were basically told, "There's not, we got nothing. We can't. We we have nothing for you." Yeah. Meaning, we're, we're not going to tell you anything. We didn't tell Jimmy Carter anything. We're not telling you anything. And so he could he 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 faced uh, not simply the the, the extraordinary uh, situation of of. Of of of, a, of having to acknowledge an extraterrestrial presence to uh, the citizens of the United States, he also faced a constitutional crisis, and that he would have had to deal with, which would have been a a, a real a real problem. What's uh, that? Did, like, for did like force the force them to tell him? What well, they he, he'd have to. Come, I mean, he, ultimately, for this to go forward. He would have had to go on if if the if the if the, if the Pentagon wasn't going to cooperate with with Clinton as it didn't with with Carter. Yeah, he would have had to then go to the American people and say, "Look, I I'm pretty sure we have an extraterrestrial presence here." But and the, the Pentagon is not telling us. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. What is he going to have to like, fire all those people? Yeah. I guess he's the president. He can. Well, I mean, he could. <laughs> no, he could. Oh, absolutely, he could have. I mean, the only the only thing that 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 Clinton or Carter could have done, given what they, because remember. The, they they come into the presidency. the The extraterrestrial issue has been going on long before Carter turns up in the White House, long before Clinton turns up in the White House. It's been going right. on since the late 1940s, and so this thing is well entrenched. And so when they come to the presidency, they come in. They don't they don't have access to anything, and they, they may not even know anything. But then they start to figure it out. Um, they get tipped. They get uh, told by certain people, certain connections. You know, there is something there. I don't know what you can do about it. So there they are, and then they go to the Pentagon or they go to the, the, the national security structures, and then basically the national security structures, Mr. President, you just don't have a, a right to know this. You, you're not on a need to know. You don't have the clearance. Just run the country and leave us alone. Well, what the president would have to do is just call in the chiefs of staff, the, 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 certainly the, the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. Uh, remember, he's appointed, and he'd, he'd call in his appointed Secretary of Defense. He, he could call in his appointed CIA director. Because remember, he's the commander in chief, or she's the way he he's the commander in chief of the armed forces. They work for him. Mm-hmm. They're not a separate branch of government. Right. He could have called him in and said, "Look, I want to see the files. I want to, I want a full briefing on this from whoever you have to bring in, and I'm, I want to go visit facilities. There's a number of facilities I want to go visit. I want I want to be given a thorough tour, and uh, I want to know what's going on. And they would have said either." Well, we can't tell you, or we don't know. And he just said, "Okay, you're removed. Now bring in the people who work underneath you." <laughs> and oh, then no. they would have come in. I mean, like, like the, the Saturday massacre. Remember the Saturday massacre in the, in the Clinton, uh, the Nixon administration, when he he fired the uh, the Attorney General, and then they had to fire the Assistant Attorney General, and I think there was one other he had to fire uh, until he finally somebody that would that would go along with him. But that would have been a massive, massive. Uh, not just scandal, but huge, uh, massive um, problem for the United States. Right. Because suddenly you have a constitutional situation where the people are going to have to be told that their 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 Pentagon, their intelligence agencies have been violating the Constitution, which they're sworn to protect and defend, for decades. Yeah, it's like they've gone rogue. They've gone rogue, and th- th- we're talking about a, a, a problem now. So, and, and Clinton, okay. was, I mean, Clinton wasn't up to it. All right. Well, that's, see, that that kind of explains the question that a lot of people always have, where it's like, well, why doesn't the president just say so? It's like, well, that's what would happen if the president wanted to say something, folks. He'd have to, if they don't give him any information, he's got to 
you know, he's got to uh, start, start making a lot of waves. And he's got to turn. He's got to turn. He's got to turn the the situation in Washington D.C. and the relationship between the executive branch and the military intelligence community upside down. Exactly. You think you exactly. think the stuff that's going on now is like a big deal? It's trivial. Right. Right. Now it's embarrassing. It's silly, but it's trivial. That would have been a national crisis. And so he wasn't up to it. And so, okay, fine. The, the truth embargo goes on. It goes on through the 90s. It goes into the aughts. And now we are essentially uh, 23 years, uh, as, of, as of March of uh, 2000 of this year, 23 years since the Rockefeller Initiative began. But guess what? Over those 23 years, things happened. And certain historical occurrences, as well as actions by individuals, that have created a situation where, finally, we can end this truth embargo, and one of the, re- one, and one of the con- 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 contributing factors here is that the truth advocacy movement needed to get it done within the, the special circumstances that it faced, which in this case was a massively classified matter denied by the government itself as that doesn't exist at all so in other words you want to tell people well here's what we need to change and here's all the information you go to say well we need to change something but we really can't there's not no it's okay we can't show you anything because the government's classified it all the internet the internet of course from 92 to present what has it done grown expanded expanded uh it's become a massive tool that makes it possible for people, individuals, to pursue extremely complicated matters with a minimum of money. It costs about $3 to $4 a head to, say, put people on the mall in a social activist event. And you've seen, you've seen these marches. You've seen the organized uh, marches and organized events in Washington, D.C. So say you wanna, if you want 200,000 people, uh, to come to Washington, D.C. to march and protest for a particular issue you want the government to address. It's going to cost you a million dollars. You want a million people, it's going to cost you five million dollars, not to mention the incredible amount of planning. And this movement's never had that kind of money, never even remotely. That. But, but what we have and have had is the Internet. And so what has happened on the Internet since 92? Well, the, the, the subject of extraterrestrials, UFOs, and so forth is one of the most searched subjects in the entire Internet. Right, right, right. Billions upon billions upon billions of searches on this subject. Thousands of websites. Um, media, of course, the whole rise of from broadcast, you know, broadcast.com to to the present. The rise of thousands of shows and programs and podcasts and internet radio in which this subject could be discussed at will. When you could get it on ABC, but you could certainly get it on the internet. Um, some of that tying in to, uh, to, to radio and syndicated radio. And so the ability to discuss it and get to the people uh, became quite possible. Mm. Not only that, but it, 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 this is obviously a global issue with massive uh, global implications. You have an Internet which has search engines on them, like Google, where you have mil- hundreds of millions of sites out there. And with few exceptions, you can go to any site you want in the world, Germany, India, China, and if it's in another language, you click translate, and yeah, it translates the page. Right, exactly. All right, so so the idea of being able to reach everybody in the world on this subject 
having everybody in the world know about this subject becomes a reality because of the Internet. And by 2016, this subject is almost universally known. Right. And that's a, that's a, that's a statement that sometimes people don't understand how significant it is. To be universally known about anything is to have extraordinary power or extraordinary impact. Mm, if you have a product, I don't care what you're selling, right? Um, uh, uh, and, and the vast majority of the, of the entire 7 billion people on the planet know the name of your product, you're going to become a very, very, very wealthy person. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Okay? You, you could walk and down so, the street anywhere and show somebody a picture of a, of a gray, and they'd know... Uh, they'd know alien. Well, it's even gotten to that point, but I mean, you'd have, you'd have to go far and wide. You'd have to travel very far to find somebody who doesn't know what, whether it's in, it's in your our language or another language, let's say in, 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 uh, in Spanish is OVNI, what, what an OVNI, what a UFO is, or what an extraterrestrial, or at least the idea, what does the word extraterrestrial mean? You, it, so it's, it, there it is. So we have this situation circa now, circa, circa the present, but virtually everybody in the world knows there's something going on here. They have a name for it, but it's not resolved. And and this thing that is going on, the governments, virtually of every nation of the world, in one form or fashion, would not acknowledge it exists. Hmm. This is an extraordinary situation. It's almost it almost has no historical precedent. And so that is where we are 2016. Now, now, given that, something has to give. At some point, okay. the now, thing's going to collapse. I like it. I like it. I like that you brought us up to speed here with this history of this so we don't have to uh, catch people up. Now, what scares me a little bit listening to this, as I said, I'm more bullish than I've been in quite some time. So I'm optimistic, uh, cautiously optimistic, let's say. Uh, I don't know how you feel. You'll tell us in a moment, I'm sure. But uh, wh- what made me nervous listening to you just now was you described a scenario that's very much uh, in, the in the 1992 scenario, sort of uh, that threshold, feels almost like what's going on now. I mean, aren't we on the cusp, if not already in, a Cold War with Russia? And aren't we already dealing with – aren't we already on the cusp of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, another Clinton presidency that uh, could very well be beset by an endless stream of scandals that will sap the administration of – political capital. Uh, those two issues you described actually seem like they're looming on the horizon to become issues once again. Well, that, that is true. That, well, that is, that is a press... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, that, that's a pretty sophisticated uh, question, and there is hey, some, I some, do what I some, can. some truth to it. Um, well, first of all, we're always on the cusp of the war. I mean, that's been, that's been the case for 10,000 years. The human race conducts wars. That's what we do, and we're very good at it. And there's always one coming up. Um, <laughs> so that's not going to change. Yeah, yeah, but we're uh, talking a Cold War, like you said earlier. That's what I'm really focusing on. Go the on. situation with Clinton I'll, I'll get to, because mm-hmm. there is an irony there that's extraordinary. Uh, there is a connection there. It's very powerful, very important. The uh, comparison to, to 92 and the end of the Cold War, what can I say? We had, um, we had a full-fledged arms race. Uh, we had a defined, quote, enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had both committed publicly that if one attacked uh, the other, that per- they would respond in kind, and that meant full-out nuclear war. And that meant annihilation of pretty much most of civilization that really you could measure 
it would have been pretty. The end. There'd still be humans, but you'd, you'd prefer that you weren't even there. Yeah, you, you wouldn't want to be one of them. Yeah. Uh, and that's 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 pretty dire. That's pretty dark. And that's what we were facing. And it was quite uh, quite understandable. It was called mutual assured destruction. After the, the when the Cold War ends, and 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 the humans being who they, humans have almost forgotten what took place there and taken it for granted and moved on. It's like, oh, that's, that happened. Okay, well, we got, we've got to move on. What happened was that after approximately uh, uh, 50 uh, – see, we're talking 1991. We're talking 40, about 45 years uh, of this mutual assured destruction standoff between – these two massive powers, one of them finally relents. And not only does one of the, the largest empires in history, the Soviet Union, dismantle, in other words, says, okay, we, 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 you win, we give up. They dismantle their, their union into 14 separate republics. Then they uh, outlaw the party, the political entity, the Communist Party, that was at the center of quote the opposition to the United States. Start, you know, uh, um, endorse capitalism, meaning oh, let's all be capitalists now, and uh, let's put all this behind us. They also, along the way, agreed to certain treaties, and then did more treaties to, in terms of uh, weapons. To, uh, 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 reduction of nuclear weapons and test reduction and everything else, and we step back from the brink uh, without significant bloodshed. We had the proxy wars and millions of people died, but in terms of the dismantlement of the Soviet Union, the whole thing was done with a minimum amount of bloodshed. Unbelievably lucky. The human race should have just got on its knees and thanked the heavens and say, wow, we just hit the jackpot here. Yeah, it's a wonder we didn't get the UFO answer then, but not a lot of people think. Uh, exactly, UFO. and and so okay, now now let's 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 tidy up here. Let's take care of business. Let's fix some of the things that have not only brought us to where we were there, so that doesn't happen again. But let's all start taking care of business and, and bring this bring the world we live in into into I think uh, alignment and uh, move forward as a human race. That didn't happen. And we don't have time to talk about that tonight, but all I can say is that by and large, the entities, forces, people, institutions Hmm. that thrived on war, endless war, were able to keep things churning and keep us on that roughly the same track. Yeah. Meaning, okay, it doesn't look like we're going to have a full-scale nuclear war, but we can certainly have plenty of wars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're not going to take care of business. We're not going to to, to, uh, institute the necessary reforms. We're going to to pretty much continue as we are. And these these individuals, hopefully there's a special place in hell for them somewhere, and hopefully they'll end up there. But they, by and large, have been able to continue keeping things um, headed in the wrong direction, but... We still had stepped back from the brink. Right. Exactly. However, yeah, yeah. if we do not take care of business, we will get back to the that edge, that brink again, and we will possibly still complete what we didn't complete during the Cold War, is have our nuclear war, have our environmental catastrophes and collapse and chaos. Only this time there will be three times as many people 
uh, involved in the in the uh, in the mayhem that ensues as, as before. And one of the reasons we are where we are, one of the things that would have possibly prevented much that has taken place with since '92 and today, and plenty of bad things have happened, is that we didn't disclose the extraterrestrial presence. We didn't do what Rockefeller wanted to do. Clinton did not have what it took or wasn't willing to take the kinds of risks that other leaders have taken in other circumstances and say, look, a constitutional crisis is not going to be fun, but by God, that's what we're going to have. The people have a right to know, and I'm going to make sure they get uh, that information. And uh, had he done that, and disclosure of the ET presence had taken place in 93, early 94, we'd be in a very different place today. So that kind of sums it up. Okay. Uh, well, I, I got ahead of myself in a sense because I already put Hillary in the White House. Uh, and and I, I know this may be the only political, quasi-political program on the media right now that's what the first half hour of a two-hour program and didn't mention Donald Trump. So <laughs> what – what interests me, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit here because uh, I feel like we've we've sort of uh, we've laid the laid the table here for folks. Now we can kind of dig in a little bit to some of the finer details because this yeah, is time I want to serve talk. the meal. Exactly. I've I've uh, uh, I really want to hone in here on this election. What what interests me, and I apologize, folks, if I get political, but I can't stand this Donald Trump, and I hope he doesn't get elected. He's insane. What interests me is. Uh, all throughout the beginning of the year, you know, there were these teases from Clinton, Hillary Clinton's campaign regarding her UFO interests. Not even teases, outright sort of uh, advocacy is the word I've been using. She's advocated for UFOs, which is unbelievable. Um, but what, what has been really interesting to me, and I haven't really heard you address this, uh, maybe you have on other programs, so I apologize if that's the case. But, you know, she's certainly made a lot of headlines with, this UFO, with her UFO advocacy. I'm stunned, given the remarkably uh, erratic things that Donald Trump says, that we have had no response or quote or question to him regarding this subject. What is going on with that? Because well, first of all, he, very he, he's irrelevant. He, he's irrelevant here. He's, <laughs> you, can, you can just take him, put him over to the side, put him in a box or something or whatever, and just forget about him. He's irrelevant to what we're about to discuss, by and large. So by and large, me, irrelevant. Uh, I'm going to tell you why okay. what has happened in the last two years has taken place. Okay, because you're, and so you're then saying I'm going to tell you why it could lead to disclosure within a short amount of time. All right, all right. And well, I've well. talked about this uh, on a number of programs. I'm sure. Let's face it, the audience for these internet programs is not huge. Right, they bounce uh, around. They all have their own favorite show, and they just listen to that, which is well, cool. Yeah, uh, have I been able to talk about it on CNN or NBC or ABC? No, I haven't. Uh, it has been written up to a degree in quite a few print publications, uh, and so, but, but, and, and so, well, and, and that's important. But then the follow-up uh, has not been sufficient yet. But nevertheless, there have been major breakthroughs there. And so, what has been going on? There's a reason for it. I'm going to tell you the reason. And, okay. And here's here's why what is happening is happening. Mm-hmm. First of all, what 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 makes this possible is one the Rockefeller Initiative, two that the Clintons and their colleagues, political colleagues, made the decision that while they were not able to make any headway there, they were blocked by their own Pentagon. They weren't going to create a crisis uh, over that, 
Uh, but they all wanted to run for president. They all wanted to maintain power and so forth. They had, they had, in other words, aspirations that they would simply never talk about it. And that's what they did. They never talked about it. And so you had this situation where for three years in, a, in, a, in the White House of a president, the extraterrestrial issue is in play in, in, in a number of ways. Uh, and that whole issue we call – that whole period we call the Rockefeller Initiative – and the press doesn't cover it because it's member. It's a truth embargo. Can't cover that. Can't talk about that. Uh, so this, this, so then they're thinking, well, the press didn't cover it. It's not out there, uh, and the press is not going to cover this issue. So we'll just never talk about it, and, and we'll just go on our way, and we'll run for president, uh, like Al Gore, we'll run, or, or like Bill Richardson, or Bill Clinton, obviously in '96, and then Hillary Clinton in 2008, Hillary Clinton in 2016. Uh, uh, we're going to run for president. We're going to be Secretary of Defense, like Leon Panetta was. We're going to be the CIA director, which Panetta was. Uh, we're going to be Secretary of Energy, which Richardson was. These are all Clinton people, by the way. And, we're, and, and then Obama became part of the Clinton team. We're all, we're all going to run for president. We're going to run the country. We're going to do all these things. We're never going to talk about the Rockefeller Initiative because that would be a problem. Uh, this issue is too explosive, too complicated, uh, and there's a constitutional crisis that lies at the center. We're just never going to talk about it. And it worked for the next uh, – well, from the very beginning, certainly since '96, for the next 20 years, they never did. And we're never asked a question. There's no reporter that has ever indicated – uh, you know, prior to 19, 2015, that they'd ever ask them a question, which is pretty bizarre in itself, but that's what happened. And so I guess you could say that the, the it was like a volcano. It's, it was like a magnum chainer, chamber of a volcano, hmm. which over time continues to fill up with, with magma, and in, inevitably at one point it breaks through the surface and boom, you get a volcanic explosion. For the last 20 years, this issue has been building up underneath the truth embargo like a magma chamber. Mm -hmm. And it was inevitable that eventually it was going to explode through the surface. And it just so happens that the Clintons are the reason why it's going to blow. Why? Because after all those years, Secretary Clinton made one more shot at the presidency. Mm -hmm. But some things had happened. But some things had happened leading up to that. And what happened was this. One, 2000, Grant Cameron, Canadian researcher, obtains a thousand documents from the Office of Technology Policy under the Freedom of Information Act, which confirmed the Rockefeller Initiative had taken place. Those documents were then provided to the media, which, because of the truth embargo, did nothing with them. So we put them on the Internet. Most of the key documents have been on the Internet since 2001, 15 years. Were, and and hundreds of reporters have been given the, have had have been given the links to those documents, and could have probably did have go and actually look at them. So that happened, but still they didn't cover it. So the years go by, but the public awareness of the issue it was being talked about on Coast to Coast AM. It was being talked about on many many of these programs and on the internet is out there. Just the mainstream media was standing fast because they're on board with the truth embargo, year after year after year. And then what I consider to be the most important event in the history of this whole thing, certainly the truth embargo, in, two, well, 2001, significant event, which is the same year that the documents about the Rockefeller Initiative went up. Right. 
but it was still not in play yet, is when you had the press conference of the National Press Club by the Disclosure Project, May 9, 2001. Right. That event was important. Uh, and it had its impact. But it was 11, year, two, 11 years later, Paradigm Research Group was able to get funding, enough funding to conduct the, the, the uh, event that it, it had wanted to do, I'd wanted to do, obviously, for all those years, since 2000, and hold a mock congressional hearing on this issue. Bring witnesses in, have them testify before former members of Congress, and literally create a mock congressional hearing, show the world what it would be like. And that was held in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, April 29, May 3, 2013, at the National Press Club Ballroom, and filmed, completely filmed, all 30 hours. That was the game changer. And so that event was filmed. The hearings were held. The mock hearing was held. Six former members of Congress were there. It was an incredibly important event. It was covered by in the in the, in the way that the truth embargo works. There were it was covered. There were some print articles about it. No follow up. No questions asked of the government of the Air Force. But nevertheless, it was covered. It was out there. A lot of the coverage was was. Uh, uh, a lot of coverage did not take place because the Boston bombings occurred just prior to the, uh, the the citizen hearing. But nevertheless, that event took place, and then that event was filmed, and that film, that documentation of that mock congressional hearing where you got 42 witnesses testifying for 30 hours, and the combined testimony is just mind-boggling. Uh, in terms of anybody that's trying to figure, hmm, should, is this is this real? Not real? Then you watch this and you go, holy mackerel! Right. That was the basis for launching the congressional hearing initiative, and that began in November of 2014. And so I came to Washington in for November of 2014 with the intention of of ending this truth embargo once and for all. And the thing that I had in my back pocket when I arrived that made it possible was the Congressional Hearing Initiative. And so what began in, in November 2014 was this. A 30-hour record of that mock Congressional Hearing was sent to every member of Congress. Uh, and the news media was engaged on that subject okay. in a very precise way. I even had the funds to hire my the publicist that we'd used in the past, and she went on. She, she knows everybody in town. And we started to push this thing in D.C., not on the mall, not by a million people marching up and down, but by coming at the media with, uh, and coming at the Congress simultaneously with two, two primary uh, stories. One was the need for congressional hearings, uh, which, the, which the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure made a wonderful case for. And the other was that the issue needed to be in the presidential campaign that was coming up. And that was uh, uh, arrived in November of 2014. Um, uh, con all the congressional offices received copies of this, plus it received a request to meet with me. Uh, and that gets underway in late 2000. Actually, the, the congressional hearing initiative began formally in November 5th when the congressional, the, the um, citizen hearing on disclosure DVD sets were sent to Congress. Links were also provide for people for, for people in Congress that want to watch it online, nice. and we launched a Twitter storm again. Remember, I'm talking about the power of the internet here. Okay, right. let me jump in here because I got some questions. I, I, yeah. I and feel free to you know get back to the narrative, uh, uh, you know, after answering these. First, uh, well, I guess I we gotta get to you telling me why Trump doesn't matter because as much as I would like to believe you, 
I will not believe you until November 9th. So you, uh, please reassure me of that. Uh, and second, um, you say these things went out to all the members of Congress. Mm-hmm. How many members of Congress took you up on the offer of a meeting? That, that, uh, I've had a number of I had me, I've had dozens of meetings on the Hill. You don't meet with a member of Congress. You meet with their staff. Okay. All right. So I've had dozens of meetings on the Hill discussing the need for hearings. That's fine. The principal reason, though, that the congressional uh, hearing initiative was underway was to put pressure, add pressure to the other initiative underway, which was the presidential election initiative. In other words, it was important for the Clintons to know that PRG was up on the Hill talking to congressional offices about hearings. Mm-hmm. They, they wouldn't have known what was being said. They wouldn't have known what was going to happen. And so that was just one more serious problem for them as they decided how they were going to handle this, what they were going to do. They've got enough problems. And, and so that was, that was the principal reason. Is there's the congressional thing is 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 being approached? Who knows what's going to happen? So what are you going to do? I mean that that was very see, very important. See, all right. Okay, I see and, and one of the reasons and the re, one of the reasons it tied together is that on the very first day of the citizen hearing on disclosure, one of the three hour segments of testimony was about the Rockefeller Initiative, and those three hours of testimony, Grant Cameron was one of the witnesses. I was one of the witnesses. Richard Dolan. We're naming names. We're naming the Clintons. We're the colleagues. We're, we're talking about the documents. It's all laid out there before these six former members of Congress. And so, the, the, in other words, this thing that they had been sitting on, that they had been refusing to talk about for 20-some years, uh, three hours of testimony about it, just got shipped to the entire House and Senate. Right. There is the connection. And so, and then, as I was saying, we launched a Twitter storm. Now, what do I mean by that? We wanted to make sure that everybody in this town knew that the the that, that that the Rockefeller Initiative was in town, that Paradigm Research Group was in town, and the game was afoot. Okay. Right. And so we we uh, the the uh, uh, using a, a a group of people based out of a Facebook page called uh, the Disclosure Lobby, which has like fourteen thousand members. Uh, we launched a Twitter storm, and the idea was to send tweets to the media and to all of the congressional offices. Most of the members of Congress have Twitter accounts. The emails are disappearing, right? It's all all on forms. They they, they stop publishing their email addresses. A lot of them stop publishing their fax numbers. They they don't want you, you know, they want you, they don't want you coming at them. They they want you to avoid them. Yeah, but but Twitter is a different matter, and they have Twitter accounts. And between November of 2014 and and, and mid-2015, I think something like two and a half to three million tweets were sent uh, into Washington, D.C. on this issue with links and graphics and connections and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Just drained, rained down on them. So that was going on. And, yeah, we got their attention. They knew Believe me, plenty of people in town by early 2015 knew something was going down here. Okay, let me jump in with an interesting question from one of the listeners here. And uh, you feel free to uh, – I, I don't want you to name names. I know you don't want to do that either. So, uh, but he wonders – you said you had dozens of meetings with staff, so uh, predominantly Democrats, Republicans, senators, congressmen, freshmen, or old stalwarts. Senator, senator, senator office, uh, senatorial offices and, Congress, and, and House offices, Republicans and Democrats. Okay, so across the board, you're saying. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so, 
that all starts in November 2014. And it ba- essentially it worked. Uh, and things started to happen. Now, and all of this is all of this is on a web page. Basically, everything that I'm telling you, actually, there's two pages, is is on a web page, and and your listeners can go to this page and they can see it all. And they have they have to go to paradigmresearchgroup.org, which is PRG's website, paradigmresearchgroup.org. And on that page at the bottom, there is a link to the Clinton ET Connection media coverage. Click on that link. And what I'm telling you is all right there. Okay. It is a huge page, but it's all there. And then the other page is very important, is the center link on that page about the Rockefeller Initiative. So you click on that link, and it takes you to the page on the Rockefeller Initiative, which has been up, which has been up for a long, long time, where they can find the key documents that connect the Clintons to the ET issue. Plain as day. They're right there. So they can go and do that at their, you know, when they want to. But yeah. that's where it's all at. So – what there, there's one I'll preface this there, there's there's a preface to what, what what what's going down now starts basically in early 2015 but there is a preface to it and that is one when when after Clinton left office in two in 2001 uh, they weren't done with this issue they just didn't want to talk about it but that didn't mean they were they were done with the issue they were not right they went underground. And I believe that the Clintons made the decisions at some point that they would come back to this issue, but it would be when they were back in office, meaning when Hillary Clinton was back in office. Okay. So that meaning, meaning that she was going to do what her husband wasn't able to do, mm-hmm. and she was going to basically go to the Pentagon and say, "You're going to tell me the truth, or I'm firing all of you." Right. Uh, and be the disclosure president, which would make her one of the most important, probably the most important president in history, hmm. and a political legacy of uncalculable value. Exactly. But it was going to be on their terms and when she was in office. And hmm. so in 2002, John Podesta, Clinton's uh, chief of staff, key advisor, advisor to Hillary, advisor to Obama, that's when he went into press, uh, made a statement at the National Press Club that we should release all the UFO files. He then made it again in 2003. Bill Richardson, one of the Clinton people, uh, made a statement in 2004 that the, Rock, the Roswell events were not explained by the Air Force. Right, Pretty right. Profound. They're laying the groundwork here. Laying so. the groundwork. Then they went silent because they lost the election. They lost the 2000 uh, election. They lost the 2004 election. Right. And so they went silent. Um, but... Uh, in two th- and, and they remain silent until 2014. And what changed for the Clintons was that the citizen hearing on disclosure had taken place. The announcement had, had been put out that the citizen hearing on disclosure DVD sets, the record of this whole thing with the Rockefeller Initiative testimony, was going to be shipped to the Congress on November, March the 31st of 2014. Uh and so what uh, the Clintons did was that Bill, President Clinton, knowing that those things were about to be shipped and knowing it, it could create a serious problem for them, had to, had, they had to make a move. And then what they chose to do was that they, just, they chose to use the Jimmy Kimmel show and arrange for him to be on it. And so he, he scheduled himself on for April the 2nd, basically two days after those DVDs would have been shipped on the 31st of March. Knowing that it was going to take, oh God, a couple of weeks 
before they'd start hitting those offices. They have to go through security. They have to be checked for for, for, for bombs, you know, the usual stuff. Uh, and he goes on and he arranges. And, and when I say arranged, I mean it. He arranged and probably even told Kimmel what to ask him. Right. Certainly seems like Kimmel's in in on the uh, at least he's being used in the game here because he's, he's been he's been used absolutely. He's agreed and he's agreed to it. Why? Because having the president on your show is huge ratings, isn't it? Right. 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 Exactly. I mean, so, so I'm 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 loving the narrative here. I'm loving the story here where we're at. Are we are we caught up? Because I'm dying to know. I still, Steve, we underestimate him at our peril. How are you saying that Donald Trump does not matter? Because, as I said, he doesn't I matter, and you're going to find out. But you're going to have to. You're going to have to wait, my friend. <laughs> you're going to have to wait. Because now that you know, now the listeners are saying, "Did he answer that question yet?" So I cannot let you go without. With, you know, I can't. We, let, I'm not going anywhere. All right, let, get get to this. So keep going then. So he goes on the Kimmel show and arranges to be asked about extraterrestrials, and he gives this response. And of course, the, that that clip is up on the website, and on it's been seen by millions of people. That was an inoculation move on the part of the Clintons, knowing that the Rockefeller Initiative was on its way, except it wasn't on its way. Late on the 31st, I canceled it for various reasons, and we didn't ship. Uh, But nevertheless, he was on the show. He didn't know that. So he goes on the show, and now it's history. There it is. We didn't launch until six months later, on November. And so on November is when we launched. I came into town on November the 20th and started contacting the Congress in early January. Uh, and then the article started happening. Uh, probably one of the first articles came out of the Washington Times. That came out in November. Uh, and then another one in December. And then another one in January. And then other print media started jumping in, and the story started coming to life. And it took a lot of effort to make that happen. And so the story starts coming to life, and I think the very first article was by the um, – the very first article to mention the Rockefeller Initiative ever, uh, just a second, was, I think, in Riot.org by Eric Pfeiffer, in which he actually mentions the, the name Rockefeller Initiative. And that was published, about to go to it right now, ParadigmResearchGroup.org, and then Clinton, click on the ET, Clinton ET media coverage connection. Um, it was on um a second uh, oh god Fe- february i think it was february the 17th uh february 17th of 2015 though there had been several articles that were dancing around it and getting there getting close mm-hmm. in january um but i believe the first article was in fact um, let's see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, then this is Cyprus Mail. Then there was um, the Air Force Times Inquisitor. Uh, it was around February the, the 14th. But by then, there had already been a number of articles that were about the Clinton ET connection. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Rockefeller Initiative. And what was happening and what this is what people would not have known was happening but i i knew is that as this story was developing remember this this the, poli- the the political story here is the biggest political story in history and the story behind that the et presence is the biggest story in history right i mean right. we're dealing with we're dealing with epic 
big shit. I mean, you know, I mean, this yeah. is huge. All right. And so what happened is reporters started calling up the Clinton campaign, really for the first time ever. Not only the Clinton campaign, but well, that, and that meant they were also <laughs> calling up Podesta. They were emailing them. They were also calling them and saying, "What's the deal here? Can you comment on this UFO. this this this, uh, this this ET issue?" And apparently, your husband was involved with it, and you were involved with it back, <laughs> and blah blah blah. And and there was nothing they could do but but not return their calls. <laughs> In other words, the reporters were contacting them. And they weren't getting anything back. They were refusing to, to respond. There was one, 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 one of Clinton's campaign spokespersons, I think Nick Merrill was his name, came back with some silly response like, you know, we, don't, we, have, a, we have a formal policy of never talking about extraterrestrials here. Uh, Podesta wouldn't return calls. They were getting stonewalled. Right. And that has continued right up for two years. The calls keep coming in, and they, are, they, they, they know they cannot respond. Even the New York Times contacted them as late as May of this year, contacted the Clinton campaign, contacted Podesta, and asked them to comment about the Rockefeller Initiative and did not get their call returned, which the New York Times, Amy Chosick's political reporter, actually put it in her article. They were contacted. We got no response. So why is it the entertainment programs can ask her about it? Is this orchestrated? Because on Jimmy Kimmel, you can do exactly what you want to do. Having to, 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 to be interviewed by a New York Times reporter, that's a lot more difficult. Right. And so it's, they, they, they're, 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 the strategy was we, we cannot talk to reporters about this because this thing will escalate very quickly. And, and what, we only are interested in one thing here, and that is getting Hillary Clinton in the White House. Right, right. Right. So we can't talk to reporters, but we also can't ignore this issue because this stuff is turning up in the print papers. And so what they did is orchestrate a response through their, in their own arena under, under their control as much as possible, basically to at least lay the groundwork for what they would they, in case they have to deal with this issue. Mm-hmm. So we're, I am, I'm trying to explain to your listeners an extremely complicated political strategy that's been going on in the back, back behind the scenes mm-hmm. that, they don't, that most of them know nothing about. But that's the way it is. This is not simple stuff. Everybody wants everything to be simple. The world's going to change, and here, how is that going to change? And it's going to you're going to tell me in three sentences. That's not the way it works. No, no, no. Hey, so, this is so, the nature of the show. We got two I, hours. I'm not worried about it. So Steve, the first, it. so the first, after these calls are coming in, mm-hmm. uh, after they know that the story is coming out in the print media, television is another matter, but the print media is definitely engaging the story. Finally. After they know that the Rockefeller Initiative testimony has been sent to the Hill, they have no idea what's going to happen with that. They know that I'm up on the Hill talking to officers. They don't know what's going to happen with that. They realize they can't just assume that this is all just going to remain uh, quiet. Nothing's going to happen. We're just going to waltz on into the White House in two years. It's all going to be great. No, they can't, they can't uh, assume that at all. And so they have to devise a strategy. And the man that's devising that strategy is John Podesta. Okay. He is, the, he is the, the common thread through all of this time, all 23 years. He's the common thread between Bill Clinton, Secretary Clinton, Barack Obama, and everybody else in the Clinton team. He is in the center of all this. He's the one devising the strategy. Let me ask you this quickly, though, Steve. In the 
time, especially when Podesta was in the private sector. Have you had any contact with him in any in any form or fashion in the last like fifteen years? Because it feels like you two should be in some kind of contact. And maybe well, you can tell a, me if a, you a, are. A, I'm sure you know he'd probably be like Steve. I'll kill you if you. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> you no. no, no if this issue wasn't what it is, we would have. But this is we're not. We're talking about the extraterrestrial issue. Right. right. I mean, we're you, talking you about an issue have, the government's denied for seventy years. Exactly. I get, all right. I mean, I guess so, yeah, I, 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 have, I have sent contacts. I have sent information to, to John Podesta on numerous occasions, and I've never received a response ever. Okay, so you've never even talked to the guy, as far so uh, as no. far as we know. Okay. No. I, I've been happy to, but there was no way he was going to talk to me. Right. Right. That's well, that's what I'm wondering. Question. I mean, it's, it yeah. seems like you guys would be, you know, natural allies. Uh, no, we're not natural allies because I pose a threat. PRG poses a threat to his candidate becoming president. Remember, at the heart of all of this, I mean, you want to talk about – to end the truth embargo, you've got to have some powerful forces at work. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen because somebody shows up one day and says, you know, I think you ought to do this. Okay, great. It's a good idea. No. There <laughs> has to be powerful forces at work. What are the what, – what, and there are a number of them at work here. But one of the powerful forces that is ultimately going to make this happen is the intense, powerful, unquenchable – aspirations of the Clintons to hold power. And Secretary Hillary Clinton's desire to be president, come hell or high water, that is one of the powerful forces. Mm. She could have simply retired to a quiet life after her husband left office, or maybe run for Senate, then set up the foundation, and they, they would have been giving away money and living, living, a, living a large life. Right. For until they died, but that, and, and and we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But they, she wanted to be president, and she was going to be president, and that's fine. Except that you just can't make history go away. You just can't snap your fingers, and everything that could be a problem for your candidacy disappears, as everybody obviously knows. And so there we have. There's that force, and she wants to be president. Okay, fine. And who is her key advisor? John Podesta. Right. And, and, and John Podesta's already come out on the UFO issue several times. Uh, the man who was going to be her running mate in 2008, if she'd been nominated, had already come out on the issue. That's Bill Richardson. And so now she's running again, and oh my God, the political press, the print media, have decided to start writing about the Rockefeller Initiative. Oh my God, what are we going to do now? Okay, so you're saying her transparency on the UFO issue is only because of the uh, sort of underlying press slash political pressure that's sort of uh, that's percolating beneath the surface of, of what we see in Washington today. It took 23 years, but the Rockefeller Initiative, the fact that it happened, the fact that we that that Grant Cameron got the documents that confirmed it, so they mm-hmm. can't pretend it never happened. Her running for president, the citizen hearing on on disclosure taking place. Okay, so these are all the all the elements at work. All of those made it possible to get the story finally into print in beginning in late 2014. Okay, and so. it escalate has been escalating ever since. Mm. And so finally, after quite a few articles had already come out, and again we're we're talking mainstream media here. We're talking major publications. Uh, they made their their first major their first serious move in the campaign, and that was the legendary tweet, famous tweet of uh, John Podesta, right on February the thirteenth, two thousand and fifteen. And so, for those that are listening, let me let me 
make it clear. This is an historic document. You know, people say a tweet can tweet never form. be a historic yeah. document. Wrong. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and, welcome and, to 2016. And, uh, there are plenty of historic tweets that have been made in this campaign, mostly by Donald Trump. But uh, this historic document occurs, emerges on uh, February the 13th of 2015 by John Podesta. Mm. And by and large, once he put this tweet out, the die was cast. There was no turning back. Yeah. yeah. A lot of things emerged very quickly after this tweet that took place. Mm-hmm. Right? This is the tweet where he said he regrets that they couldn't Hang on. Thunder away from me, boy. This is the tweet heard around the world. All right. Fire away. In order for your misunderstanding. Retweet that shit, Steve. Retweet that shit. I'm going to retweet that. Uh, in order for your listeners to understand how powerful it was, important it was, they have to understand the context behind it. All right, here's the context behind it. John Podesta, who was the advisor to President Clinton during the Rockefeller Initiative to, to end the, basically end the truth embargo, then his chief of staff, and then the man who called for the release of the UFO files at the National Press Club 2002-2003, and then called for it again in interviews around Leslie Kane's book, 2010, put it in a foreword to the book, 2010, and then made similar statements in the documentary about the book about the same time. That man, who then uh, who, who, who had founded the, 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 the largest uh, progressive think tank in the United States, now Center for American Progress, the man who then becomes advisor to, you know, becomes the transition chairman for President Obama, once he was elected in 2008, uh, and, uh, right? and then becomes his advisor in 2014, actually it was December 2013, that man is just finishing up his 13 months at the White House as a, quote, advisor to the president with full presidential privilege, meaning we can talk about anything and nobody's going to know what we're going to talk about. Right. That man... Right, who is obviously at this point understood to be one of the key intellectuals of, in the democratic world, the progressive world, right? after it's already been announced he's going to go and become the chairman of the Clinton, Hillary Clinton's campaign, right, right. on the day that he's leaving his White House job to go become the, chair, the chairman of the campaign of the presumptive nominee and the most likely and, 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 and the person favored to become the next president of the United States, he, he puts out this tweet, the last tweet from his presidential account. Finally, my biggest failure of 2014, once again, not securing the hashtag disclosure of the UFO files, and copies Marine Dowd of the New York Times. Now, for somebody that doesn't understand the history of this, they probably don't even know what's going on here. And they go, oh, oh, well, he likes UFOs or something, and he's, he's making a, a joke. No. What he just did in that tweet was simply not supposed to happen. It couldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. That tweet is never supposed to happen. That's political suicide. You're an advisor to a president, and you're about to become the campaign chairman for another candidate to be president, and on the day leaving the job on your official account, you put out a UFO tweet? Like, well, nobody's going to notice that, right? No. 
you don't do that unless you have to do that. And so because of the pressure on the Clinton people, because of the questions coming in from the reporters, they knew they had got to have they had to have a strategy. And the strategy was this. We have got to get some things out about this. We have to show that we are not we are aware. We have to show the issue is seriously, but we serious, but we can't go too far because if we go too far, it will trigger a media storm and the whole thing is going to blow out right before we make it to the White House. Right. And remember, we want to be the disclosure administration. Okay. But if it does blow out, because they can't control, they don't control the world. If it does blow out, we will have the, we're, we're going to establish a track record here that we can fall back on, and people are going to think, you know, well, you were doing what you could, you, 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 you've, you've been transparent about this, whatever, and uh, and 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 they, they they can weather that storm and still make it to the White House. It's a dual strategy. If if it if the media continues to stand down, or at least stay behind the line, and we make it to the White House, we win. We can do what we want: disclose, not disclose. We don't care. But if it does blow out as a major story, we can deal with it. It's a complex strategy, but I can assure you that Podesta is more than smart enough to be able to do it, and he initiates that strategy. Now, this, this again, this post is very important. This tweet is important. One of the key phrases here, once again, when he says once again, he's saying, I've tried to before. But when did he try to before? Now, understand, he, he never, never, they've never responded to the press about this, so he hasn't had to answer that question. The point is, he's saying, once again, when was the first time? Well, actually, the first time was on, during the Rockefeller Initiative, 1993-1996, okay? And then it's possible the second time was when he had – it was during his, the previous 13 months when he was advisor to the president. Maybe right. one of the reasons he right. was brought in to advise Obama – was to possibly set the stage to start getting the files released. To right, set right. The stage he knew for her. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? I know but exactly most people wouldn't have gotten that. And then he says, for again, not securing disclosure of the UFO files, not securing the hashtag disclosure of UFO files. Now, almost no one would have understood the significance of that. Why did he say hashtag disclosure of the UFO files as opposed to simply? Disclosure of the UFO files. And by the way, in a tweet, when you say when you have a hashtag, you know what that does. Right, it makes it a link, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he he wanted to generate a conversation. No. Okay, then why would he hashtag it? Because remember, I told you about that Twitter storm that we launched. Ah, uh, generated okay. two million tweets raining down in Washington D.C. The understanding, once most of those people, whenever possible, that all of those tweets were to to conclude hashtag disclosure. Oh, okay. It's like an episode of Lost here. All the answers are coming together at the end. I like this. You see, he is basically connecting it to that entire tweet storm, which had been underway at that point for nearly three months. And that was the beginning, and that generated a slew of media. Mm, I know. Print articles, all right? And, I, and that's when I started getting return calls from the, from the, from the Hill. Uh, agreeing to meet with me, and that got underway. And so now things are marching along, and the pace is picking up. It's not out of control, but it's picking up. Uh, so, okay, fine. So a month goes by. Exactly one month goes by. A lot of articles appear in that 30 days. And, of course, other articles are in the works. And I'm doing media shows. I've done something like 140 media interviews on this since November of 2014. What are some of the ones that are going on back there? Let's see. What did I do? I arrived on uh, uh, starting in 
uh, 11.14, I did, uh, let's see, I did USC Radio, I did Revolution Radio, Dark Matter Radio, WILS, Mike Siegel, National Syndication, John Wells' show, that was supposed to be Curtin O'Carabine to Midnight. Then I'm on I'm, then I'm on Talk Center America. Yeah, you were all over the place. All so, over the place. That's all okay. going on. And so what happens? One month later, March the 13th, President Obama goes on the Kimmel Show, which means President Obama arranged to go on the Kimmel Show. And President Obama arranged to be asked a question. What question did he arrange to be asked? The exact same question asked of President Clinton on April the 2nd, 2014. Exact same question. Mm. If you, when you go to the website, you can see the clips, and people go and watch it for themselves, and watch Jimmy Kimmel ask him the exact same question he, right. a, he asked of Bill Clinton. Okay. And Obama gives his response to it, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of dances around it and what have you, but he's on the record, isn't he? And that's, that takes place on the 13th of March. That generates a bunch of articles. And then on September the 29th, Podesta puts out another tweet. A lot of months go by because the campaign is picking up speed, and it's getting the pressure on them is growing and growing. And so on October the 6th, Bill Clinton goes on the Colbert Show, 2015, and arranged to be asked what? A E.T. question. And he dances around it, similarly to what he did with Kimmel. Right. Nevertheless, you see how they're all getting on the record here? But yeah. not, with, not, not in some interview with the New York Times where things would get out of hand, but on entertainment shows where exactly. they can virtually control what happens. Okay? okay, so they're planting the seeds here. Exactly. And so that generates a plenty of media. And so by, by, no, by December of 2015, one year has gone by. They're now a year from the White House. Hundreds of print articles about the Rockefeller Initiative have taken place. Uh, and finally, Clinton steps in, and, and and another historic event takes place, and it takes place on December the 30th, 2015, while she's campaigning in New Hampshire, the very important New Hampshire primary, the first primary in this election, Democratic primary in this election. And she's in New Hampshire, and she's giving an interview to the editorial board of the Conway Daily Sun, which is a paper up there in New Hampshire. Um, they grill her for two hours, and after that interview, she saunters on over to uh, a fellow by the name of Damon Steer, a reporter that she knew. And the reason she knew Damon Steer of the Conway Daily Sun is that when she ran the first time in 2007, and she was in the Conway Daily Sun in New Hampshire, because he had an interest in the subject, he asked her about UFOs. And she gave him a, she talked to him a little bit, but it didn't get published, and there was an effort to get the Rockefeller Initiative out in 2007. I had some success, but it didn't go anywhere. And she knew, so he knew him. And so she saw there's up to him, and he, he naturally, he asked her about that story that's been going around. And for the first time ever, Secretary Clinton goes on the record on this subject. She doesn't mention the Rockefeller Initiative because that would launch a media storm. Right. But in 90 seconds... The, the leading candidate to be president of the United States says to Damon Steer of the Conway Daily Sun, one, if I'm elected, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, meaning UFOs. Maybe we should set up a task force to investigate Area 51. And three, maybe we've already been visited 
we just don't know. Right. It was quite the moment. I, I think. Uh, yeah. I, More I, than that's just quite the moment, so Jim. I know. I'm just. Uh, we you know. we just crossed the Rubicon there. Certainly that seems launched that way. Huge amount of print media worldwide. Hundreds and hundreds of stories worldwide were printed up on this. And then the, the and then now things are picking up really fast. Uh, on February the 11th, Obama goes on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and what does he do? He arranges to be asked a question about extraterrestrials. On March the 1st, Podesta gives an interview to KLS-TV in Las Vegas while they're campaigning. Remember, there's an election campaign going on. Mm-hmm. And he asks or answers a question about extraterrestrials. Right. And the pressure grows even more. And so 23 days later, sec- what a secretary, she, 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 they, they complete the hat trick, all right, the Kimmel hat trick. President Clinton interviews with, uh, with Kimmel April 2, 2014. Uh, President Kim- Clinton goes on Kimmel April 2014, uh, and then Obama goes on Kimmel March 13, 2015. And then on March the 21st, 2016, one year later, Secretary Clinton goes on Kimmel and arranges to be asked about extraterrestrials. The clip is on the website. It's on the the web. And then Podesta gives an interview to CNN Politics, Jake Tapper, April the 8th, uh, 14 days later. And then the day before the New York primary, she gives an interview to Power Radio in New York, the day before the New York primary, where she's asked about extraterrestrials. And then uh, approximately a month and a half later is when the last statement they've made occurs in June the 2nd in the Rancho Palos Verdes at the Code Conference, a, a, a high-tech conference with a $6,500 ahead attendee. Wow. And Podesta is asked about extraterrestrials. And, and the, 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 the fundamental theme in all of the statements these, the, 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 the Clinton team is making, and understand – Podesta's on the Clinton team, Hillary's on the Clinton team, Obama's on the Clinton team, President Clinton's on the Clinton team, right? The fundamental thread in all these statements is the issue is serious. It's not a joke. We're not making jokes here. This is serious. But not enough to trigger the media firestorm. Right, right, right. right. I see what you're saying. It's sort of like, yeah, they're trying to push it. Yeah. So They're moving the goalpost. So what has happened is that starting in... Uh, early 2015, this issue has received more political coverage than in the entire previous 68 years. Unprecedented political coverage, not not at any time, but rather during a presidential campaign, a two-year presidential campaign, one of the most followed, bizarre, and intense campaigns in American history. This issue has achieved political coverage. Now, you may say, okay, fine, if that's true, Steve, then why hasn't this thing blown up already? Here's why. Because the last bastion, the last, I guess you could say, redoubt in the the Truth Embargo's castle is the television networks. The the three the three regular networks. The media, yeah. You're saying that they they're not the media, the television networks, the three networks: ABC, NBC, CBS, and the three cable networks: Fox, CNN, and MSNBC. They are the last holdouts, and they are the most, how would you say, encumbered on the truth embargo. Why? Why, the would they be? Why would they be uh, – what's their problem? 
put it that way. The reason that the, that the television networks are the most tied up, the most on board with the truth embargo, or however you want to phrase it. I mean, if anything, they love shit that generates ratings, and this will go through the roof. So mm, they okay. should want this. Sure, sure they do. Uh, that's, and that's important, isn't it? That's, that's another, another part of the pressure that I'm talking about. The three networks were brought on board the truth embargo and, the, uh, and, and put under control on this going all the way back in the early uh, 1950s, late 1940s. And they, they, were, they were young. They were nascent. They had no power. They were under the, the control of the FCC. They needed a government license to exist. And they were brought on board basically and, and told back then, you're not going to touch this. And they'd go, fine. And so that they have it, but as as of this campaign, the networks have been pretty much on board the truth embargo for 68 years. And so for them to be the ones to sort of finally yank the lid off the the the, the pot, they have 68 years of explaining to do. Yeah, like like boy, you're all shitty journalists for not having figured this out. Whatever, it's simply a can of worms that this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to go. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so that keeps them silent. And then the three cable networks have a different problem. They're not under FCC regulation, but they don't have an audience. They, they have such a small audience. They're fighting for scraps. That all three of them are scared to death. That if they if they get uh, into something, if they get into a mess, uh, and a thing blows up on them, it's going to hurt them. And so. They don't want to rock the boat. So they stood down. Now, how, how, how do we know that? It's real simple, right? During those two years that we've been talking about here, when hundreds of print articles mentioning the Rockefeller Initiative, mentioning the Clinton connection to this issue, 120 of them talk about PRG and me and, and, and the activism that's underway here. After all of those articles, during that same exact period, there was something like uh, 35 presidential primary debates or forums for the candidates. Nine of, nine, nine of the debates were Democratic debates, primary debates, and 10 of them were Democratic forums. And all of them were hosted by television news journalists. Right, right. Most of those journalists making between one and, and, and 15 million a year. And not a single question was asked of Hillary Clinton about that story that had been raging in the print for months. Well, that's, not a single question. I, I, okay. That's impossible, but it happened. It's very strange, that's for sure. That's why uh, this brings me all the way back around to the question that I started uh, quite a while ago. I mean, we've caught up literally, literally, or however you would say it. Uh, <laughs> we've caught up to the current day, I think. Uh, and the question remains... You say when I asked you about Trump that it doesn't matter. So why doesn't Trump matter? Why is this, is this all part of a bigger scheme involving the Clintons no. getting Trump to run for president? No, or no, no. Be, well, Donald Trump doesn't know anything about the issue. The Republican Party has never said anything about the issue. They've completely, the Republican Party completely signed on to the truth embargo. They have they have refused to do anything and say anything. They they have nothing to say. They have nothing historically to say. They're a non-factor. And Trump is even less of a factor. This is all about the Clinton connection to it. Nothing to do with Donald Trump at all. The only way that he is a factor in that he has made this campaign so much more difficult and created problems for the Democratic presidential campaign process. For the whole – yeah, I mean he's just wreaked havoc on the whole whole system. Yeah, the the ability of Podesta, the – had um, a strategist to 
to to be certain that Clinton would make it to the White House, it, he's made it almost impossible to 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 to, path, to 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 chart her path to the White House. And the more difficult it is for them to be convinced that she's locked up in the White House, the more difficult it is for them to stand down on the ET issue. And so in that sense, he is a factor. But if if it was a regular election, if they had nominated George Bush, we we, we would, you know, this whole issue was still well along the way before uh, the, the Republican nominee was stated. And so even if George, uh, not George, but Jeb Bush had been nominated, I think we'd still be in the same place. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? It's just not a factor. This is about the Clintons and her desire to be the president of the United States. Right. I understand that. I guess what I'm saying is, so you're just outright out of hand dismissing that Trump could possibly at all get elected when it's like it's getting the race seems to be getting tighter. Who knows? No. And someone asks, listening uh, to the show, and it's something that's crossed my mind watching this all unfold, is that you know. Maybe Trump is the last gasp of the people who want to hold on to the secret, and that's why they're this. What's why we're seeing such a very strange campaign, very strange candidate, where it's like this is the they're in the throes of of uh, holding on to this secret, and they're doing whatever it takes, and they're like, let's nominate a lunatic demagogue that people will be like, look, we need to we need to nominate a celebrity to to get to win this election. The only way we're going to be able to stop this UFO thing from happening. So I mean, Can I help you there? Can I help you there? I would love you to help me there. The answer is no. That's no, what? what's going on? All right. So you can just put that aside. That's not what's happening here. So what what happened was is that, and they would they wouldn't have known this. They wouldn't have known this. Was um, they uh, meaning the Clinton the Clinton team wouldn't have known this going into the the the, 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 the nine debates. Right, going into the nine debates, and then of course the forums that were going to take place. The Clinton team, meaning Podesta and the rest, could not be certain that the television news moderators would not ask her about this, and it would bring it into play, and things would escalate even faster. They didn't know this, and so they, they, where I think Podesta was is that part part of him wanted nothing to happen, meaning don't do anything, just leave us be and let us get to the White House and then, you know, then we can we can tell you the truth and make history and we'll be the good guys. Uh and then half of them wanted to get it over with, meaning just get the damn question out, right? And she'll answer it and we'll see where it goes. Right? If if it doesn't go anywhere, then we're definitely home free, but if it does go somewhere, we're ready to engage it. Now, what are you basing this analysis on? Your uh, people from the campaign who were talking to you, or making his analysis? I've been immersed in this now for two solid years, twenty-four hours a day. No, I realize that. Obviously, I, that wasn't a diss. I just mean like, yeah. what's your what's what's informing this perspective from you? Uh, are people telling you this? Because I mean, I didn't read it anywhere that they were. No, of course they're not. You, you don't. You think John Podesta's calling me up and telling me what his strategy uh, is? On maybe issue? some mid-level staffer. You should have some spies. I'm in reading there, all man. the articles. I'm talking to the reporters. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've reviewed every one of their comments and statements. I've got a pretty good perspective on this. This is my, this is my professional. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But uh, don't I just count was on asking it. if you had like you know extra inside info. That's all. I wasn't. You know what I mean. I know everybody wants you to. Oh, you got the special <laughs> this. You got a special. I mean, everybody wants it to be so simple and easy. It just isn't. All right, but that's okay. 
Uh, that's my 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 job is to get this done. And and uh, um, and I'm telling you how it's going down. They can believe it, don't believe it. I really don't care. So it comes down to again trying to assess the process. And so going into those debates, they didn't know what would happen. And I think Podesta was conflicted. And one of the reasons I suspect this is because of the second tweet heard around the world. Now this wasn't this this didn't have the impact that the first tweet had, but it was pretty significant. Uh, but it certainly was received. And and here is how he played it. It was really rather remarkable. About nine days before the first Democratic primary debate, when Secretary Clinton was going to be on a stage, forced to answer any question the news television moderator asked her, an actress named Lena Dunham interviewed Clinton right, for YouTube. Oh, God. And Lena Dunham, of course, is a, is a millennial. And I don't really care well for known. Her. She produced and stars in the, in the HBO series Girls. Yeah. She's controversial, but she's pretty cool. And so this is a, this is a reach out on the part of Clinton, right, to the millennials. That's true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I'm no millennial, so, I, so at my age I'm obligated to hate all things millennial. You know how it is, Steve. And, of course, people can go find that interview, and they can watch it. And so Lena interviews Secretary Clinton, and it's all well and good. And then two days later, right, and again, uh, exactly one week before his candidate is about to go in front of a news host debate moderator for the first time in this election, he puts out this tweet. Great interview, hashtag Lena Dunham. But Lena asked her about aliens next time. Hashtag the truth is out there. Copy, hash, I mean, at Hillary Clinton. Now, again, some people would read that and it means nothing to them. But I assure you that one day people will look at that and go, oh, my God. Right, right. All this is stage management. This, you know, yes. It doesn't happen. Right. I mean, it, it, let, let us refer to all the previous instances when the chairman of a political campaign, not just for some you know, super fringe, no way he can win can, she can win candidate, but the leading presidential candidate – before she's about to go on a debate stage, he puts out a tweet he knows everybody's going to see when he says, oh, Lena, the, you know, you just interviewed my candidate. Next time, ask her about aliens. Does people think this, that, that this is some sort of this silly parlor game they're playing? This is a joke? It's not a joke. This is, this is the game. This is how the game is played in Washington. Hmm. The most serious things you can imagine affecting the lives of hundreds of millions of people are danced with like they're at a birthday party playing pin the tail on the donkey. But that's the way they have to do it. I can't change that. That's simply the way that it is. So he puts that tweet out. He's virtually saying to, I forget which network ran the first one, don't really care anymore. He's basically saying to them, if you want to ask about aliens, ask about aliens. We're ready to answer that question. Right? But they didn't. And he didn't make a tweet since. Yeah. So in other words, they were testing the networks. We know you've been locked up on the truth embargo all these years. We know you're mostly cowards. We know you're a bunch of overpaid, you know, um, um, relatively average journalists who who don't want to do anything to rock the boat or, or, or risk your multi-million dollar salary. And maybe you'll just stand down like you did on the Iraq War and a whole lot of other things right. that left the American people in the lurch 
not having the information they needed so that uh, you know, life hit them like a tsunami. Maybe they'll do that, and that's exactly what they did. They stood down debate after debate after debate, and they have still stood down. In the two years that this has been, under, been going, with the hundreds of articles pouring out, in terms of television, the, there's only been seven instances where the issue was brought up. Briefly on CBS The Talk in uh, April of uh, 2016, mentioned briefly on uh, MSNBC Meet the Press by Kornacki on uh, May the 11th, uh, the day after the New York Times article, uh, very briefly on Andrew Mitchell Reports, uh, briefly on the Aaron Burnett Show. All of this was, again, May, May, May 14th. This is right after the, the New York Times article came out. Yeah. And then on May the 15th on NBC Sunday, a very brief mention on ABC World News Tonight on May 15th, and then on uh, Morning Joe, May 27th. Nothing since May 27th. That yeah, it's did. been very quiet since then. It's interesting. Right. And, and understand, somewhere between 500 and 1,000 print articles worldwide have been printing the story. Right, right. You know, I, I, I see it. what you're saying because it's uh, very interesting that, yeah. I mean, okay. The, the, and so the news, the news, the news are, are standing down. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so they stopped talking. The last time the campaign spoke to the issue was on June the second of this year, and nothing since. Well, the general election's underway now. It, yeah. Whatever. The point is that they haven't said anything. They could have, but they didn't, because the game seems to be going their way. And so now here we are, uh, seven weeks from the first presidential debate. And what's happened in the last month is more articles of overall it slowed down. So it's, it's, it's kind of going – the wind is blowing in their direction, meaning we might make it to the White House without having this issue blow up big time. And then my candidate, Secretary Hillary Clinton, if she wants to be the disclosure president, she can do that and make history. But she has a problem because her path to the White House, while it's still electoral vote-wise relatively strong, is becoming increasingly murkier because this election campaign is, as predicted, turning into a maelstrom. It's like trying to play canasta in a hurricane. Right. She has got problem upon problem upon problem upon problem developing on multiple, multiple fronts. Right. And she's up against an opponent who essentially uh, has no boundaries whatsoever and can say or do anything. And so it's very difficult for them to to simply convince themselves that they're home free. And so seven weeks out uh, of that first debate, which will be at Hofstra University, and it will be moderated by one person, Lester Holt. Lester Holt, who makes many millions of dollars a year. He's a multimillionaire. Um, He is going to be the moderator, and he is the one that's going to ask the questions. And so if he asks her a question about the Rockefeller Initiative, in that debate, in other words, if the television news bastion finally breaks and they step into this on that night in a debate that will be the most watched uh, 
presidential, most watched political show in history of the United States. When it'll be, it'll be one of the most watched television shows in all of history. I, it's hard to calculate the number of people who are going to watch it. Right. It's in the hundreds of millions. Yeah. If he asks her that question, it's almost certain that the answer she's going to give is serious. She cannot give a joke answer. They've already laid that groundwork. She's going to give a serious response. She may even be forced to acknowledge the Rockefeller Initiative took place. And when those words come out of her mouth, the ball game is over. The truth embargo is finished. Now, it won't happen right away. What will happen is a whole lot of reporters will be completely unleashed at that point, and the story is fully engaged. There is nothing to stop them. They're going to come at this right. uh, like uh, – Like uh, sharks uh, on a bunch of bloody shit. What do you want to call it? <laughs> and, and, and it's going to spread. There are lots of people to interview. I've provided the contact information for quite a few of them. Uh, and th- those are going to start happening. And then very quickly they're going to turn their sights on the White House and the Pentagon. Right, right. And there's several thousand questions that need to be asked of the White House and the Pentagon about this issue. And this will happen within weeks. And when the White House and the Pentagon see the gathering horde of reporters coming their way with a thousand questions that they really don't want to answer, they will have no choice. They will finally have to do what they should have done a long time ago. And that is the Pentagon, which serves, works for, and is bound to the President of the United States, will have to finally close the constitutional breach that has been in place going all the way back in one form or another, though in recent it's been a complete breach, to the 1940s, come together to the White House and reach an understanding, a deal. Yeah. Now, you – it's interesting because uh, – you know, you tease me, I think, about, you know, people want it down simple in a few sentences. But I'm trying to understand it in this way. From what you're saying, it makes it sound like it's almost incumbent now upon the media, the mainstream media, to break this story because it's almost like the other end, being the Clinton side, is like, hey, well, you never asked us. You know what I mean? It's a kind of like that. So you're saying really, you know, they, they don't want to – they want to be able to make the decision on their own and – uh and really, the media could push it, and that's what you're hoping for. The, 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 the media will be the catalyst. The, the media yeah. will be the lever that, that, that right. takes the door down. That's what I'm trying Clinton to Clinton is the catalyst. Right. Uh, the, you know, a lot of people don't, don't – well, most people don't fully understand the nature of these institutions. The role of the media is supposed to be to represent the public – right to know and get information to the public so they can make informed decisions about who to elect and how to respond to government policy. It's about making money. Come on. And and also to make money along the way. (laughs) That's their job. Been forced to not do their job. They have been suppressed from doing their job for 70 years. This is the biggest story in history. You don't think it's not going to sell a lot of papers? It's not going to put a lot of eyeballs on on cable news? That's what I said earlier, yeah. They're not able to make that money, and they're not able to to break these stories. They they have been suppressed from that. Of course, that is changing now, but that's been the 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 status. And and, and people say, well, it's the job of the government to tell us the truth. Actually, they don't see it that way. And, And the government's not in the truth business, and a lot of people don't understand that. The media is in the truth business. The government is in the governing business. And if the, go- and if the government thinks the governing business, it means they have to lie to us, deny us, bamboozle us, drown us in propaganda, 
fool us, trick us, undermine us, whatever. That's what they'll do. They're in the governing business. And so that's why democracy without a free press cannot last. It eventually collapses. Because without the free independent press containing the truth, eventually the system, the country, drowns in a sea of lies. And if you go back and look at previous failed governments, empires, and so forth, it's always the same story. The departure from reality, propaganda and lies, nobody knows what the hell's going on until the thing just simply collapses, which is the road that the Soviet Union took and collapsed in 1991. And that's the road the United States is on, collapsing sometime later in the 21st century. So what's at stake here is, well, not only the end of the truth embargo, the, the introduction of the post-disclosure era, possibly a open contact with extraterrestrials and a complete, complete transformation of the Earth, it's the potential future of this country. That's what's at stake here. And it's so big that most of the people, even the big shots, the powerful geniuses, multimillionaire media people, whether it's from Murdoch to the television host, it's too much for them. It's too big. It's like, gee, somebody else do this. I'm not up for it. Right, right. You know? uh, and, you know, guess what? That's not the way it works. History has arrived at your doorstep, and if you don't do it, somebody else will. And what I'm trying to tell your people, your, your audience right now, is that this is all coming to a head. And the way it should play out is that the television news, and by the way, am I punching on their door? Are we, is there several strategies underway to, to, to pop this open? Yeah, there is. Does anybody know about it? No, they don't. This is all happening behind the scenes in Washington. I'm doing the best I can, that's all I can say, with almost no money whatsoever. But nevertheless, I don't need it. I got the Internet. All right? And so consequently, it's like Donald Trump. He, he had bragging about the fact that he was making huge progress in the polls and spending no money. Why was he spending no money? Because he had the Internet and free airtime right. on, on every, every day news network show in the country. Exactly. Right? And so he's going, hey, it's all free. I don't need any money. Well, that's even true for me. Yeah, exactly. With these, with the, with the online coverage, it's unbelievable. Okay, it's, uh, it's amazing. So, like I said earlier, it hasn't made the. It's it's interesting. Go here ahead. is how things. I'm going to give you the scenarios now going forward. Here's how. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here is the scenario that should happen and still very much could happen. Okay. The television news are going to step into this. She's going to get the questions at the debate, or she, or and or she's going to get them out outside. Big-time journalists like Maureen Dowd are going to finally bite down on the story. She's going to have nowhere to go, and the whole thing is going to escalate very quickly, leading to the White House and the Pentagon virtually with no other choice but to reach an understanding, and Barack Obama will make the announcement of the ET presence. He will be the disclosure president. It will be his last deal going out the door. It will be an unbelievable legacy. No one will remember almost anything that happened in his administration except that. All right, it will be the post-disclosure world. Secretary Clinton will almost certainly win the White House at that point. Uh, whatever problems she's facing now, this issue will pretty much blow them all away. It will be like uh, they're, they're, they've been campaigning in a huge smog, and then a huge breeze comes in off the ocean and blows the smog away. And it probably eliminates any chance for the opposition to Clinton to stop her. And she, she makes it in the White House and becomes the first post-disclosure president, which will be a pretty significant job. Will she be good or bad? I don't know, right? And ultimately it doesn't matter. Well, it matters, but, I mean, it, it's not the, the, the most important issue right now. She will be the first post-disclosure president. That's what 
probably should happen based upon what's going down. Let However, me let me jump in though, because this is a terrifying scenario. The way this thing's unfolded, if let's say Obama does disclose the UFO phenomenon, and and they say, well, Hillary Clinton's well versed in a lot of this stuff. She's, you know, she if if they admit they implicate her in knowing stuff originally, they could the the other side could spin it where it's like, oh, more secrets from Hillary. She can't be trusted. Yeah. I'm saying I'm very very worried, Steve. I'm very worried. Uh, you know, it's. Even if she – I'm afraid that almost it would work against her somehow where it was like, well, she, clearly she always knew about it, but she didn't say, you know, no, 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 you know how I'm saying it. This is a very valid point. How the One of their biggest problems with this story breaking before the trust election issues. is that to a very significant degree it plays into her number one weakness, which is uh, tra- uh, transparency manipulation of information and the truth, withholding information. There's right. no question it plays into that. Yeah, that's the, right? you know, this hits the right And that's head. a problem. In other words, there's no guarantee, and there never has been, that should she decide, I'm going to get this into play and let the chips fall where they're made, if that means that Obama ends up being the disclosure president, I can live with that. There's no guarantee that, that it doesn't uh, ruin her chances to be president. There, there, there are no guarantees. It's a calculation that they, I'm sure, have been making every day. Right, right. Would it or wouldn't it? They don't know, and I still think they do not know the answer to that. However, and that, but, but your, your, your point is very, very well taken. One of the reasons you have seen her on Kimmel and, and Obama on, on, uh, on Colbert and President Clinton on uh, 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 Kimmel, right? President Obama. One of the reasons you're seeing all of these statements that they're making is because by laying this groundwork, which basically goes all the way back to 2002 when 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 Podesta called for the UFO files release, uh, they can make a case that you know they've done what they could do. Now, what is the, what have the Republicans done? Nothing. What has Donald Trump said about it? Nothing. What does he know about it? Nothing. And so for the Republicans to come by and say, well, you know, you have been, you know, well, you could say the Republicans, what have you said about this? Absolutely nothing. Let they me, have been totally okay. on board the truth embargo for the last 70 years. Let me jump in here with a thought for you, okay? Yeah. Because uh, it's, I, what excited me originally when this Hillary story and the UFO stuff really started cooking in the beginning of the year was that, uh, you know, Donald Trump could say the most innocuous thing, and they make it news out of like two or three days. I don't understand. I would like to see you and your organization maybe just try and press him, because if you're looking for a lever that will push the media, then Donald Trump is the, is, is the force that will push the lever that will knock the, you know, whatever that thing is, the mousetrap down. Of course. That's what I think. So why isn't anyone asking him about UFOs? Why isn't anyone anyone is anyone lobbying his side? I mean, the man will go on any program imaginable. How has he not gone on a program and not been asked about this? Because he's chosen not to. You understand? You have to, and by the way, this is this is you know significant. One of the one another one of the reasons why John Podesta can't simply convince himself that his candidate has got a lock on the White House, and that this, or that this story is not going to break until she's in the White House and she will control how it goes down, is because at any time Donald Trump could bring it up. And, and he can't predict that. But Donald Trump hasn't brought it up. 
has his campaign been sent information about this? For two years. And they haven't done anything. Do you think you think they can't read the news? You think that with hundreds of stories being in the print, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Washington Times, Mother Jones, the Hill newspaper, New York Magazine, New Yorker, you don't think they can't read the news? You don't think they don't see these stories? They've done nothing. Right. Why? Because the Republican Party is the party with the strongest connections to the military intelligence complex. Are you shocked by that? Of course not. Of course not. And so the Republican Party, from the get-go, their position was if the CIA or the DIA or the Pentagon or whoever the hell is running the ET issue wants the president to be out of the loop, the Congress out of the loop, and the public on a you-don't-need-to-know basis, that's fine with us. We support our men and men, women in, in uniform, and they have done nothing. And that therein lies the dilemma for the Republicans, because if they tried to step out on this, their ability to respond to the backlash that will come at them is minimal. It is going to be a nightmare for the Republican Party. You said nothing. You did nothing. You have simply completely gone along with this, like they've gone along with a lot of other things. Uh, what do you got to say for yourself? Nothing. And so their only hope is that somehow this stuff will stay bottled up until they get the White House the next time. And I don't know, maybe maybe the, the, if the next president is Republican, they'll be the, 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 the disclosure party. They'd like to be. Look, when I've been up on Capitol Hill, it's one of the things I've been talking about to the, to the staffs up there on the Republican side. I'm saying, do you realize what happens? If this comes out and, and, and the Republicans have done nothing, it's going to decimate your party. And, and there's something you can do. You, you control the, the, the Congress. You control you, – you ch- every chairperson of every committee on Capitol Hill is a Republican because they control the Congress. Right. And so – or at least on the, on the House side. And so if you were to launch congressional hearings – and get into this, that establishes a position for you on this subject. It would be like, hey, we're doing what we can do here, and the Republican Party will not be hit so hard if this happens. Well, guess what? No, they're not going to do that. Well, it's fine. I don't care. I gave them a chance. I told them what they needed to do. They don't do it. They don't do it. So, But nevertheless, that doesn't mean Donald Trump could bring it in. It's just one more unknown factor. But be assured the campaign has been approached. Be assured the information is there yeah. for them. They have chosen not to engage. That is their business. But that doesn't mean that Donald Trump won't do it tomorrow. Yeah, that's what's flummoxing to me, I guess, is what I'm saying. I mean, the man is a media machine, and not one single person has – I mean, you know, he goes on live programs, Steve. I mean, if you were Donald Trump and I was me right now, and I was like, what's the deal with UFOs? So he would have to answer it. Or but also reason. understand he hasn't been asked. Remember, that's what I mean. It's amazing that no one. But has why asked do you? Him. But again, who, 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 all of those Republican debates and forums? Who moderated those forums? Television news journalist. Hosts. I know, but this is a guy who shows up on like local radio in in Wisconsin or what. He'll give an interview to almost anybody. I'm challenging. I mean, that's what I'm saying. We need to challenge the these people who interview this guy to to ask him because it's. You know, 
Well, it's, it's an issue. Challenge. It's an issue. I mean, it's apparently, it's issue on one side, uh, the Hillary side, but it's not an issue on the other side at all. That's bizarre. So Tim, all I can do is drive the story as hard as I can. I can't. I, I can't force some some television or local <laughs> news jockey. No, I understand. I'm advising. They're going to do what they're going to do. But I'm advising. I'm trying to suggest a, an avenue that might. As I said, use the force to uh, turn the lever. Well, it's an obvious avenue, but I think the more important point here that your listeners need to understand is that there is a reason why those questions aren't being asked. We have been living under a truth embargo for 70 years, and it's no trivial deal, that truth embargo. Just like the Cuban embargo wasn't trivial. I mean, if, if you decided, I'm going to Cuba, screw the government, and you tried to get down there, you get your butt arrested. Right? Yeah. And you end up, you end up facing a felony charge. And so guess what? Very few Americans went to Cuba until they lifted the embargo. Guess what? This year. Nice. Right? And so and so but but the embargo on the ET issue is far more important and far more serious the embargo in Cuba, I can assure you. And so that embargo is 70 years on and it's still affecting the the journalistic decisions of a significant portion of the media. We've broken through in the print. We've broken through in the UK. There's articles all over the world. The, new, the television, again, it's one thing for the, an NBC host to ask her a question in a debate. It's another thing for some local television host to ask her a question passing through. She, uh, again, and, and, but the point is – I'm not talking about her, though. I'm talking about Donald yeah, Trump. You're, about, so yeah, you're right, and, and the, the, point, the point is, is that, that the reason that they're asking Clinton is because PRG has driven the story – and pushed it out there. There's, there, there's, there's, there's no hook to drive the story on the Republican side. There's no way I can go to to any print media and say I got a, I got an ET thing regarding Donald Trump. You got to cover it. There's nothing. There's nothing. And so they're not going to do anything. Yeah. The only reason they would ask him is because of the Clinton story, right? But let me tell you, and, and but they haven't. Now, now I'm not. I don't know if any print media reporters have contacted the Trump campaign. That's what I'm talking about. It seems it defies reason. Do you know what I mean? They, they, really they have. Reason. They may have, but and we don't know about it. Grant Cameron's. A, you, know, you are. How do you, you two would have heard about it by now? No, I wouldn't. Nobody have heard about this it. Guy not been, it, it, he no, has it, opinions on everything. No, Steve. no, 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 no. <laughs> you're not hearing me. I'm not saying it's very possible that some of the networks or some of the print people contacted the Trump campaign. They've gotten no response, just like they haven't gotten a yeah. response from the Clinton campaign. Yeah. And so, if you contact the Trump campaign, what, what's your comment on Clinton's statements about the ETs? And they don't respond. Where's your story? You've yeah. got no story. And so, in other words, getting the print media to cover the, the, the Rockefeller Initiative ET connection to the Clintons was difficult enough, and they're doing it. That doesn't mean they're going to go nuts. Now, I guarantee you, if Lester Holt, bless his heart, decides to, to earn his keep, earn his money, his paycheck, and be a journalist and not a state puppet, a propagandist, and ask her – about this story that's been in play for two years at Hofstra University on the 26th of September with Donald Trump standing about eight feet away, that questions to the Trump campaign will ensue shortly thereafter. Oh, I'm sure. And then we'll get Donald Trump's opinion about it. Right. But I can assure you that is the last thing that he wants. He's not stupid. Right. He, he'll say anything, but what, what he does say serves him. And he has nothing to say about the ET issue, right. except I don't know anything about it. How do you think that's going to play? 
Meanwhile, Hillary can talk about a history going all the way back to, to, to 1993. You know, and she'll say something about the fact that, well, you know, I, we never talked about the Rockefeller thing. Uh, you know, it was um, uh, awkward. Uh, it, it was uh, w- w- the Pentagon wouldn't give us any information. There was a constitutional crisis there. Uh, it just, it just didn't seem like that's something we want to to create. We felt that it was best to let that work. It's, I, I don't know how they're going to answer. It's not going to be easy. I'm not saying it's yeah, it's easy. tough, man. But it's they've tough. got something to fall back on. I see what you're saying. They have a they have a history here. Yeah, Donald Trump's, Trump's just a reality show star. He doesn't know shit about UFOs. Okay. So I assure you. So Trump, one of the reasons that the Trump people have not stepped into this is that they realize that this is a major problem for them. If he opens his mouth. I mean, he could, he, you know, and 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 you're right. On on paper, based upon what we already know about this campaign, theoretically, Trump should have already given some interview and 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 called Hillary Clinton a tinfoil hat. Exactly, dude. It's astounding. It's really, I think there's something there's something at work there. That's yeah. my, <laughs> and, but he hasn't done it. Right. And the reason he hasn't done it, and and the reason why we're having this conversation, which is easy to forget, is that this is not a joke. There are extraterrestrials engaging the planet Earth, and even Donald Trump can't make them go away. Right. And so consequently, it's not – you know, there's a lot of this stuff they're screwing with in the campaigns. This stuff that it's not even that important, uh, and and it's it's all very confusing, and they can play this game as long as they want. But the ET issue is so much more bigger than any of this that you can't screw around with it like that. And so Trump can't deal with it. And if, in fact, he is forced to, the Republicans are going to lose. Uh, in other words, they're going to lose ground. It's going to be a major problem for them. The ET issue is a vast problem, huge problem for the Republican Party and its future, and they've known that. They, they, they set their path in stone a long time ago. There was no turning back. They, 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 they have no justification for their right. position on this other than – we support the national security state. Yeah. Whatever it needs to do, if it needs to overthrow a government, we're behind it. If it needs to survey uh, or spy on every living American, we support it. If there's a war that has to be fought, we support it. That's all they have. That is going to be a major problem. For the Democratic Party, it's still not uh, – in the Democratic Party, aside from the Clintons, there's nothing. It's the Clintons that have the connection to the issue, and they just happen to be Democrats, which saves the Democrats' party's butt. Right. Are you following that? I've followed everything we've talked about tonight, okay. Steve. We're so, about to so, lose the live show. Can we keep chatting just for a bit more? I know you have a busy uh, evening and whatnot, but maybe – No, no. Know. My job is to talk to talk to you on the show, Tim. Oh, man. That's nice. All right. Well, we'll keep chatting after the live show goes. Folks, this way I don't have to do the countdown and everything. Folks, uh, thanks for tuning in live. Thanks to all the folks on the chat room. Thanks to uh, – People on Facebook, me and Steve are going to keep talking, and uh, you can hear the rest on the MP3 when it gets posted to BOA uh, sometime later in the week. All right, now let's just keep talking and keep it going. Well, uh, in the 90 seconds we got, look, people need to go to paradigmresearchgroup.org mm-hmm. or just Google my name, Stephen Bassett, and the site comes right up at the very top. They need to then click on the ET Clinton ET media coverage link on the top page. And they can see the videos and all the clips I've been talking about. They can see the articles. They can see the few things that have been done by the television media. They can see it all. And then they need to, if they want to tweet NBC News, 
they go to factsonwashington.org, they can see the Twitter handles for almost all the top political news and editors and so forth at NBC and MSNBC News. They may want to send them some tweets and say, we think Lester Holt ought to ask Secretary Clinton about all these comments she's been making about the ET issue. What's going on? And by the way, what about the Rockefeller Initiative? Uh, the documents on the Internet show she was involved. Whatever. Feel free to do it. But for one thing, don't miss that debate on the 26th of September because history may be made there uh, beyond anything anyone expected. All right. Well, let's say, for instance, let's presume, let's we hope that history be made on at the debate, but let's assume uh, otherwise and, and that the election goes through. We're going to leave Trump to the side here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UFO issue doesn't come up at all. The election plays out as it is. Because uh, there's no sense in sort of wargaming a scenario if Trump becomes president because the UFO issue is pretty much dead at that point. Well, I can, I can game the scenario. If, if Clinton lost, like the if Clinton uh, wins the election and we still haven't had disclosure, then we're going to pressure the White House as much as possible to right. get Obama to do it before he leaves. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then if and then if he doesn't do it when she takes office on the 20th of January, we're then going to take every frigging statement that she and everybody else in her team has made, and we're going to publish publicize them extensively, and pressure her to take action immediately. Okay, yeah, fine. This is what you said. We want action right now. We want you to we want you to start press, pressing the Pentagon for the information. We want full investigation. Uh, we want to know about the Rockefeller Initiative right now. The, on the other hand, if Trump wins the election, we will pressure Obama to oh, disclose to do it before, before he leaves. Yeah. And then if we haven't had disclosure when Trump takes the White House, I am going to shift PRG's operations overseas. I'm going to move move it to London. Oh, wow. I'm going to change the name of PRG to PRG International. I'm going to focus on other nations. Wow. That's a bold stance. Interesting. See, well, because because there's, I nothing, like that, I there's nothing I can do with Trump as president. There's nothing. Right. There's no way to drive the story. If the media, media can drive it if they want to, they can approach them if they want to, but there's nothing I can do. And so essentially the, I, I have to then shift. Uh, and I respect that. I'll operate internationally and, and, and try to get some other nation to do it. Uh, that's the strategy. I don't think I'm going to have to do that. I think we're going to have disclosure before the inauguration. I, I hope we'll have disclosure before the election. It's, in, it's, it's primarily in, it's in Obama's hands. But it's also in the Pentagon's hands, and the only thing that's going to push the Pentagon is the media. The Pentagon is going to have to see a thousand reporters driving over uh, the uh, key bridge on on or, you know the, the bridge over the Potomac to, to the Pentagon parking lot uh, with a thousand questions to ask them. That's what they're going to have to see before they finally cave in and go, okay, enough is enough. Let's get this out of the way. Well, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, Steve, you know, next year is the uh, Roswell 70th anniversary, so, mm. you know, these things yeah. do have a way of being historic timing-wise. So, can I, can I give you a little story about Roswell? I love I love all Roswell stories. You're, you're right. Too. Next year is the 70th anniversary, and when I went to I went to the 50th anniversary in 1997. I was there. Um, that's kind of the one of the one of the well, it was it was like I was one, it was like one year after I'd entered the field, almost exactly one year after I entered the field, and uh, I was there. It was an interesting experience. I met some people and what have you, and then I returned on the 60th anniversary, ten years later, 2007. And when I was in Roswell, I arranged to get a meeting with the mayor, and so I went and to the mayor's. I'm I'm, I'm sitting down. And I'm talking to the mayor of Roswell, and this is what I told him. I said, Mr. Mayor, I just just for your information, just trying to be helpful. It's something you need to understand. 
I don't know what you think about all this, but there are there is an extraterrestrial presence engaged in the human race. This is all real. Roswell was an alien crash, and this is going to break at some point. And when it does, he'll be the busiest man in the world. At, at the first at the first anniversary following disclosure, there are going to be RVs and campers. <laughs> parked along the sides of the roads leading into Roswell, oh, yeah. stretching out for miles. Bet your ass I'll be there. And you're going to have a, a number of people headed your way that is beyond your imagination, and you need to plan ahead for this. You need to start thinking about this now. Now, in 2010, I hope disclosure was coming soon. I, it, I had various reasons to think it, we might have me making some progress. But you know, whatever when it happened. So that's that was sick. That was 2007. Uh, but yeah, that that happened, and I basically said Roswell is going to be transformed. You're going to become the center of the universe for a while, and you're go- you need to prepare for that onslaught. Have some contingency plans. Uh, okay, uh, now uh, next year is the 17th anniversary. Right. If disclosure happens between now and then, which I think it will. Uh, I, I, but the thing is, I don't think the, the, the mayor I talked to is still now. there. Yeah. I'm, I just, I'm, I, I, at some point, I may <laughs> call him up. I don't know, but everything I said will happen. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And sure. Roswell is is going to have an interesting experience, which I hope they're ready to handle. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Now, here's sort of a philosophical question, a humanizing question too, in a way. Steve, what do you do? I guess when do you feel that your job is done? What would make you feel that you've you've accomplished your goal where you're like, okay, you know, yeah, sure. or yeah. So what what is that? What's that? What's the what's you know, the touchdown line? PRG, my organization, has not done its job, hasn't achieved what it set out to do 20 years ago. Until the words come out of the president's mouth that there's an extraterrestrial presence engaged in the human race. And I don't mean at a cocktail party in Georgetown. Right. I mean at the at the podium, at the end of Cross Hall, in the East Wing of the White House. Yeah, where they announced that they killed Osama bin Laden. Exactly. When that happens, PNG's fundamental goal is done. What do you do then, Steve? Then the real work begins. That's when the fun begins. This has all been pain and suffering. This is this has not been that fun. Twenty years of frustration. Difficulty, uh, resistance, obtuseness, and meanwhile watching the United States go to hell in a handbasket. Right. Uh, After disclosure, ah, that's when the fun begins. Disclosure, I believe, will launch in due course the greatest age of institutional reform the world's ever seen. And you're going to see... um, Every institution that matters looked at, examined, reassessed, and you're going to see political reform movements springing up everywhere, and not just in the United States, but around the world. And it's going to be like a massive purge, not a purge, but a a, a transition mm. in which the human race, galvanized in ways that's never happened in history, are going to come together, use the power of the Internet to start fixing stuff. In other words, we need to fix this now. Yeah. It's not enough to just continue to, to ignore watch things it all break down yeah. Yeah. And, and dance and dance and dance and put up with the same stuff. We're going to fix it. 
and uh, I assure you that PRG is going to do everything it can to be part of that reformist movement. And that is going to be fun. I hope so. And uh, it's important to know, so you, you know, you mentioned this struggle. We can never forget the, uh, the countless individuals who dedicated their lives to trying to get to the bottom of this and didn't get an answer before they passed away. I mean, Absolutely. And we're losing them every year. We Absolutely, yeah. Edgar Mitchell. Yeah. We lost it's, it's uh, Roger Lear. We lost Jesse Marcel. Oh, God, yeah, Bob Hopkins. Witness Graham Bassoon. So many uh, people. I can go on and on. Right. Uh, so that they, history needs to be told. You know oh, absolutely. I mean? absolutely. Oh, no, one of, the, one of, the, one of uh, the many tasks that PRG will be pursuing post-disclosure is making sure that as much of the history, and of course, you know, obviously Richard Dolan will be heavily involved in that, uh, making sure that uh, the history of this field and this struggle and everybody in it is uh, is not forgotten, but yeah. that won't be hard. I assure you, the interest in these people. Well, this is an interesting sort of point, though, in a sense, too. I mean, we talked about what do you do if this happens. Uh, and I know a long, long, long time ago when I first had you on the show, we addressed this kind of idea where it's uh, the idea that, like, oh, well, once disclosure happens and they have no use for ufologists and all the real scientists will come in, it's like, do, do you see that happening to the community, and, or or do you think that, you would hope that it would be treated with some kind of newfound respect where it was like, oh, you guys were right all along. But I'm a, a, the, the big fear is that it will become marginalized uh, you know, when the adults come into the room, well, that idea. If we had that discussion, I should have and probably uh, added this to it. Uh, correct. Uh, after disclosure, a whole bunch of, of um, academics and pundits and so forth, they're all going to immediately jump forward. People, particularly if they already have a, a public persona, yeah, they're going to jump forward and say how they knew it all along, and and they, you know, they they really know a lot about it. And they're all experts and talk to us. Uh, the universities will move in all the mainstream, and uh, they would they would be happy if everyone else that was involved in this, who isn't part of the mainstream, would all just go away and die. Yeah, okay, you're done. Let the big boys take over. Because it, it, we're an embarrassment to them. We have been calling them out for decades, and they've stood still and done right. nothing. We were right, and they were wrong. Uh, and so they don't want us around. So that that, there's, that is a factor, and there will be plenty of that, and it will be unpleasant to watch. On the other hand, thanks to the Internet, you know, the blessed Internet, praise be to, to God, uh, uh, the history of this issue is well established and it's unerasable. Uh, and even even the history of the early people, like uh, Donald Keogh and, and uh, J. Allen Hynek uh, and so many of the others that go back in the 50s and so forth, that, that's all been picked up and, and grandfathered into the Internet. Yeah. And as a result, the whole history of this is well accessible and it will be accessed. And so these people will be honored. As far as the people working right now, we, we've we've got our internet presence we're established in that way so we have and will have a pretty good opportunity to be a significant players now we're broke and so we have that liability uh meaning a lot of the people are going to rush in are going to rush in with money. huge sums of money right, right right and and that's going to be give them a lot of influence but i'm hoping that those that have been pursuing this issue and and have been working with it will get a lot of support post disclosure and they'll say hey you know, we're going to back you. We're, we want you to. We, we, we want you to help you deal with this issue and address it. Uh, you've earned that right. We're hoping we'll be able to get funding post disclosure, 
I have a lot of plans in that regard. So um, uh, I think I think that in this case, uh, by and large, uh, you're going to see a lot of the people that were involved in both the advocacy work, the research, is also some of the media stuff, uh, are going to uh, uh, find a place for themselves in the post-disclosure world, and it's going to be pretty cool. Some people will not adapt. Some people are not going to be able to operate in that post-disclosure world. They just—it's just not—they don't—they're not suited for it, or they're not prepared to do what they got to do. Uh, but they're still going to get acknowledged. I mean, it's—it's it's, there's going to be some bittersweet aspects to this. Um, but that's true of all advocacy movements. There's nothing. There's nothing much different there. But I'll, but I do know this: anybody who wants to be part of the post-disclosure world, if you've got a computer and you can access the Internet, you have, you have a chance to participate. You have more power. I'm sitting here, right, and we, we could be having this conversation not on this phone that I'm on, but we could be having this conversation on my computer right now, right. on Skype. And so uh, let's say, and many of my interviews are that way. So imagine we're sitting, I'm having an interview. Yeah, we're old school. And I'm on a computer. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to you on that computer. I'm talking about my websites on that computer. We're talking about tweets and so forth. And that computer has got more power in it than the, than the computers that launched the, uh, the moon program. Right, right. And there's hundreds of, there's billions of these computers in the world. And, and, and they're, they're now, they now cost about 200 bucks a piece. And so there's, in, in short order, barring a few special areas of the world, every single living human will have one, access to one, and access to the Internet. And that is a new ballgame. And, and people are starting to get it. They're starting to understand it. I assure you there are people in government like to see it all completely controlled and taken away from us. Oh, yeah. Through them. Let, them. let them all die and turn to dust. Uh, we have more power to affect the world than any other group of citizens ever and now the question remains will we mm. and that is up to the, the people the citizens of america the citizens of russia china you take the country it's up to them they have the tools they have the power are they going to use it i'll be talking about a lot of that post-disclosure yeah we can choose to use it or we cannot now i think we're going to use it i think you're going to see things that you just never imagined happen happening being possible the world is going to change so fast and in so many interesting ways I believe it'll be for the best. Steve, Donald Trump is running for fucking president. I've, I've. I, this is why uh, the idea of UFO disclosure to me is not a completely insane idea. I mean, we're living in a completely insane world. The, you know, Katie bar the door. Anything could happen. This I is, can assure you that, <laughs> uh, that, that one, the the, uh, the extraterrestrial presence is is not paranormal, and it's perfectly sane. Uh, policies that have been pursued by and large were national security-based policies that weren't illegal by and large. They were sane. The the insanity, you know, in other words, the propaganda has tried to make this issue seem insane or fringe or anything else. That's just propaganda. Yeah. Let me ask you this, though. I This is not uh, something I noticed because I'm a huge, as you know, I, I'm like a, I live in the new stream. It seems like uh, the... I guess you would call it like sort of science, mainly space news sort of uh, outlets or whatever. The the space news uh, industry, let's say, Mm -hmm. uh, they produce – they seem to be coming around to the – 
to the ET presence and all oh, that. That's, that's a whole other phenomenon. I know, I know. That's why I'm asking you about uh, it. It I, seems I, I, pretty I remarkable because, like, in the last in the last year or so, it's getting closer and closer to them just being like, "Hey, man, the the jig's up." Okay. Like, here is what you're here is yeah. Here is what your audience needs to know about that. A significant portion of the scientific community has been well aware of the extraterrestrial presence since the 1940s. Um, and they haven't talked about it because of the truth embargo. Can't talk about it. That's simple. Don't do it. You want to talk about it? Fine. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your tenure. You're going to lose your clearance. So don't talk about it. So the scientific community has gone completely along with the truth embargo. They've known about it. The astronomical community has known about it. Some of the SETI people know about it. NASA knows about it. You can't talk about it. Okay, fine. So now, as we, we move closer and closer, uh, but, but but okay. So so let me break. So they can't talk about it. that. Doesn't mean they don't know how important it is. It's unbelievably right. important. So what they could do, and have done, is that it was okay to to explore the ideas of extraterrestrials, to look for extraterrestrials, right? right to look right. for planets and all that. All they could do discuss the possibility of it. But it seems like now. I'm going to just jump ahead to what I think you're going to say in a sense, where it's like now the science is getting too good to, to cover anything up. It's like it's 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 it's, it's more than that. It, it's as I believe that, and, and I think this will eventually come out. I think that the the whole progress of how NASA has handled its space program and what it's been talking about. And the scientific exploration of planets, all of these things, the announcements of water here, water there, all of this is somewhat orchestrated, meaning that that from the standpoint of some people inside, uh, these advancements in our understanding of of the uh, of the universe, of the galaxy, of of the number of planets, the planetary surveys, all of this is a safe and comfortable way for bringing people up to speed, getting them uh, acclimated to the big the big uh, information that's coming. Right, right, how the aliens could be explained right. by science. And it's also, obviously, it make, you know, it's, it's, it's helpful to the scientific community so that they, 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 were, they were trying. Right, they, they have that CYA. Yeah, they have that CYA. There's plenty of scientists that have some really significant public relations problems they're going to have to face, uh, and organizations they're going to have to hide them. But whatever, the point is, is that, is that uh, this is not an accident. Um, and uh, all of these new discoveries, particularly the planetary discoveries, which have completely blown out of the water every last vestige of the idea that we're alone in the universe on theoretically, all of that is, is obviously putting more pressure on the truth embargo. Right? In, other, in other words, there is a, there is a, a, it's, it's a, there's been a dance that's been going on. 70 years, everybody's dancing with this issue, and everybody knew that one day the music was going to stop. They didn't know what day that was going to be, but they know they had to keep dancing. And and so the scientists have been playing there, dancing, and the, and the politicians have been dancing, and the media has been dancing. Uh, and as long as they, you know, stuck with the, the rules and, and, and the proper steps and, and didn't get out of hand, uh, everything was kind of cool, but one day the music was going to stop. Yeah. And that day is very close at hand. 
and then they're going to have to start a new dance. Hopefully, it'll be a little bit more constructive. We shall see. But in other words, what I'm trying to say is that the entire history of the 20th century will have to be rewritten. I mean literally the entire history of the 20th century in large degree is going to have to be rewritten in the post-disclosure world yeah. and in which the reality of the extraterrestrial presence and who knew about it and how it affected decisions that were made and how why people acted this way and did that right, right, is right. factored in. Yes. It's like, it, it would be like if we all of a sudden discovered weather. We'd say, oh, that's why all those people died in that Katrina thing. You know what I'm saying? So. It's yeah. very and that and so obviously this is pretty complex. I mean, this is yes. not some trivial thing. This is no. I'm not being. I'm not being. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just trying to say that. I'm trying that, to explain how it for people it to grasp all facets of of our lives. The kind of thing that like you would just all of a sudden discover something that, you know. But on this end of the pre-disclosure, though, for those that are trying to look at the history and look at what's going on and understand it, it's brutal. Mm. I mean, how how do you factor in all of this? How do you, as an individual in the pre-disclosure world, try to understand the actions of governments and scientists and military and everybody else uh, without the ET question, an ET uh, uh, variable there? Remember, there is no our new ETs here, according to the government. Therefore, that's not a factor, and so it does things just don't make sense. But once you pull the ET thing in, it starts to make sense. But right. you still don't have the, the the information. You still don't have the knowledge of who was doing what and when and why, and so consequently, things don't make sense. This is one of the reasons why there's this sort of underlying universal angst amongst the uh, the populations of the uh, developed nations. I mean, they have all this technology. They have uh, uh, a lot of good things going for them. They have relatively advanced uh, cultures and what What nations you. are these, just so I'm clear? All of them. And all no, of them. what name them, though? I'm saying... No, I the United States and Canada. I mean, the nations... Oh! Are doing okay. so all the developing developed nations. Yeah, developed nations. And well, yet, developed in, spite of all, in spite of all of these benefits, these wonderful things we have, flush toilets and showers and giant yeah. supermarkets filled with food... I don't know if you've noticed, but there's this underlying angst that seems to, to reach th- right across uh, around the world. That there is this sense that people have that something's not right. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I have like a my own sort of weird OCD compulsion where if I'm reading a book and I skip to the end, just for some reason, or if I even skip ahead a little bit, I have to uh, get on my nerves and I have to go back and you know make the linear timeline work. I think that that's what you're talking about in the sense where like we know there's something there's something behind like there's something we're missing something you know what i mean we're missing there's something missing and that's the whatever is behind all of this you know ufo stuff i know you say it's not paranormal you and i disagree in a sense about maybe what's behind all this but that's neither here nor there there's a this here so that's all that i'm interested in talking about with you and this, this, in other words, the a, a, a very significant portion of our historical reality has been manufactured in order to serve various agendas, uh, and this, this is, this is correctable. It doesn't have to be this way. Oh yeah. And it is this angst. It's one of the reasons. The, the, it's the presence of this angst that virtually is, it affects everyone. It's almost nobody that can that you can avoid it. It's one of the reasons the Wachowski sisters now. Uh, made a fortune off the Matrix Trilogy. The Matrix Trilogy uh, tapped into this angst in a brilliant way using sci-fi 
but at the core of that uh, movie is a simple fundamental acknowledgement. That we live in a fabricated reality. That the reality we're in is really not reality. It's being manufactured. Now, in the, in this movie, it's, it's the extreme example of this, and right. it's not like that. But it is enough like that that people resonated with that big time, and they just ate that movie up, and it made a fortune. And other movies are tapping into the same thing. People are uh, – and, and, so and so the awareness of people to this – and some people get carried away and they just go nuts with it. But I mean, even a basic level, just a regular person, the awareness of this is very good. It's very healthy mm. uh, because ultimately we are going to have to pull the curtains down. There are more than one uh, and expose the wizards of Oz. We're going to have to start correcting history. We're going to have to fix all this shit uh, <laughs> before things become untenable. Yeah. No, I agree, and man. I agree. Seeing that process unfold. So in that sense, I'm optimistic. Uh, ultimately, I'm optimistic. But I also know what could happen in the next uh, few years, and it's pretty awful. And so oh, in God, that the sense, next few days, the next few days, you never know. You know, you know. The next few years, uh, there's a list of things that could happen, and it's not a good list. And I occasionally talk about that. But, uh, well, uh, tell you but what, even though I know that, it, it's still, but they may not happen, and there's there's some still profound things we can we can see happen so but fundamentally i'm I'm an optimist i don't i don't i don't walk around with a cloud over my head no you certainly seem optimistic and i was just going to say i tell you what i don't want to wait another 10 years to get you back on the show so next time uh i want to talk to you like maybe after the election january february something like that and find out the lay of the land you may be packing your bags for europe buddy i hope not but who knows with the way this thing's unfolding i just don't know i don't know makes me very nervous man you know? how, how much? How many of the stories? How many of the press stories have you read at the uh, that page that I've been talking about, the uh, media page at Paradigm Research Group? How many of those have you? Have I'm you not read? on the page now, but I mean, I'm I follow every story that's going on right now. So, but have you read a lot of them? A lot of the print stories about the ET Clinton connection? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm well right. versed so you're, you're 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 getting the, you're getting it. You're feeling it. You're seeing it. Um, uh, so there's going to be more of that, and uh, things may break. A lot's going to happen in the next few months. Uh, I hope so. And, 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 well, I mean, uh, there's a lot. Obviously, a lot's going to happen. This campaign is still going to be madness. But uh, again, on the, on I just the feel ET- like we're at a turning point in history. Whether it has anything to do with ETH or uh, extraterrestrials or not, so we're at the well, we're precipice at, uh, of, of doom or enlightenment. It's very well. This right campaign now. is a turning point in, in, in a lot of ways. But right. one of the reasons this campaign. The, the political reality of this campaign is the predictable outcome of the United States' policies going back to the 60s. Things started we, – we started we – we went off on a different path back in the early 60s, uh, particularly 1964. And over the next uh, basically 50 years, uh, the United States has, has – has conducted it done certain things the american people have gone in certain directions and all of that you put that together you get this election this year this yeah. is the reflection of that and most people would say that it's not symptomatic of 50 years of robust health and wisdom in right. fact it reflects 50 years of crass stupidity banality lethargy cowardice yeah. evil uh and we're getting we're seeing the payoff now uh what, what, what america will have a decision to make 
accept this and, and simply die, die off, meaning in other words, they see everything fall away from them, or or heal themselves, heal the country. They they have a choice, but you know it's like it's 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 exactly analogous to diseases in the human body. You start getting symptoms which reflect a disease that's been underway in your body for 20 years, and you have a choice: fix, cure the disease, or simply watch the the symptoms uh, move forward and 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 toward the ultimate outcome. Yeah, uh, that's literally what's going on. This this election is a symptom of a disease and and by I mean disease I mean a very you know not not narrow but a very broadcast a very wide spectrum disease that this country has and we haven't cured it we're just starting to even understand it and we cure it and move on or we don't and we perish and people think no the united states can never perish it's forever wrong it's it's not forever. In fact, as a democracy, it's many years over its, its shelf life. Right, right. It's already it's already supposed to have perished already, but it's very hard for people to get that. And 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 it's it's it, it, it's 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 like people like me are going to get that because I I operate outside the box. Well, I get a sense of in a sense, and I want to. I'll preface this by saying I, I I do like you a lot, Steve. I get a sense of frustration from you over the years of talking to you, where it's like. You need to understand that there are people out there that uh, they're trying to pay their bills and shit. They can't worry about UFOs. Absolutely. It's a very Absolutely. difficult uh, issue to try and, you know, because we, we started this conversation nearly two and a half hours ago about the idea of, like, women's suffrage and civil rights. And those were, like, real – people were, like, really suffering. No one – as opposed to maybe in an abstract way, no one is, like, suffering or being – Discriminated against because of the UFO phenomenon because of the policies of the United States, which includes the ET truth embargo, mm-hmm. the United States has conducted numbers of proxy wars that have killed millions of people, and the trillions of dollars that have been spent on on defense and submarines and giant aircraft carriers and space weapons and everything else. Uh, a lot of that money could have gone to to assuage the ills and uh, of uh, of the American people and a lot of other people. Absolutely, yeah. And so the amount of people that have died or suffered because of these policies is vast. Okay, I see what you're saying. So like they, just, they 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 orchestrated these wars in order to distract from releasing the UFO secret. I, I'm not saying that. I'm okay, saying I that the, the 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 wars and a lot of other things are, are the result of these policies. The ET truth embargo is just one of those results. Mm. But but again, okay. the problem is and and this is the problem for this advocacy movement is that the the the, 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 the there is a much greater degree of difficulty in being able to connect people with the source of their problem. Yeah. With the civil rights movement, it was pretty easy. Okay. The, the, the segregation laws in the South, pretty easy. Yeah. They, those states would not allow people of color to to use the same facilities as whites. That's not rocket science. People knew exactly where the institutional problems were, mm-hmm. and they went right at them, didn't they? So that was easy. It was easy to 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 pursue the independence movement of of India. Everybody knew exactly what the source of the problem was. It was the Br- British presence there, acting as the colonial government. 
And so what's the target? It's the British government. In this issue, in, 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 in the last 60 years, how – how do you how do you explain wh- where where is the source of the problem? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And the rise of the national security structures and secrecy and massive classification and everything else, the government has figured out that look, if we hide everything, you don't even know where to go to fix it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and and the analogy I use is that uh, uh, the government embargoes uh, uh, well, how can I put this? Uh, what's it going to? You know, it, it would be like. Um, it would be like people finding out or hearing rumors that there was this really nice Caribbean island down there and, and, and down south of Florida, and it would be really, you know, it'd be really great to visit there, but you can't go there. And so they go, well, that's not right. And so they try to they try to get an activist movement going. We want the right to go to this Caribbean island that's called Cuba. Yeah. And the government says, and you know. In other words, the formal policy of the government, uh, which the press goes completely along with, is that there is no island there. There's no Cuba. It doesn't exist. That's all a rumor. It's a myth. It's it's it's, it's nut, nut, nutty people uh, believe that. French people, crazy. Right, right, right. There's no right. island. And so you're trying to get an activist movement to protest an embargo on an island, but the press and the government is going along – with the with the false reality that the island doesn't exist Just at all. It. Yeah, yeah. You see the problem here? Mm-hmm. This this is this is this is not typical. This is not the kind of things that act- activists have to deal with. Right, right, exactly. I see exactly what you're saying. And, and, uh, and now, now magnify that a thousand times <laughs> where yeah, you have like a million you have times. a host of issues. Yeah. Recently, um, you know, ultra leftist Oliver Stone, uh activist filmmaker Oliver Stone, uh Wrote a, a you know wrote and produced a huge ten part series mini series on television called I believe the real history, history of the United States or the true Se- history of the United secret States. history of the United the States. secret history of the United States and I watched it all uh, it wasn't bad uh, and there's some things there you're not going to see in a lot of other documentaries let me guess though no UFOs no uh, believe me I've Tried to get to Oliver Stone many times, uh, even though his son pretty well I couldn't get to him. But um, the point is, it, even he is afraid to go here. The, the point is, is that what he was trying to do in that documentary is say the 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 reason for your angst is the truth of what has been happening has been denied you, and so things don't make sense. And if you understood the truth, they would make sense, and that would make you feel better. And then you might, because you know what happened, you might be able to fix what happened. It's like it's like your car doesn't work, and you and you and 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 you go to a, a garage to try to get it fixed, and and the garage uh, guy says to you, "Oh, I'm sorry, your car has a government uh, sticker on it that says we're not allowed to look at it, and so we can't fix it because we're not able to to look at it. Uh, so you're out of luck." Sucker, uh, he, he's sort of trying to do that. Well, that was his effort. Uh, that is just the tip of the iceberg, right? The, the, we are living in this sort of false reality, which is what the Soviet people lived in for for some sixty years. Yeah, they lived in a sea of propaganda, 
It's what the, the North Koreans are living with. You got and every virtually the entire population of North Korea is living in a completely false reality. Right. They have right. no idea what the truth is. Oh, and so are we in America. That's the point. Yeah, you're you, but not that bad. Obviously. Right. No, but just with regards but, but, to the UFO. If we get that bad, if we don't get our act together. No shit. That's what we're on the precipice of now. There's a perfect microcosm. North Korea. You see what happens when you you when you. When, when, when people are forced to live in a, a reality, and, and, it, and, it, and it goes generational, meaning an entire generation grows up in that false reality, you get insanity. And when you look at North Korea, what you see is insanity. You see the leader of North Korea getting a little irritated with some, some uh, a, a top official, and they strap him in a chair out in the desert, and they execute him by shooting him with an anti-aircraft gun. <laughs> Which basically turns them into small little pieces of bone and flesh. It's insanity. Well, guess what we're seeing in the U.S. right now? You're seeing a lot of people looking at what's going on and saying, this is insane. Right? Right? Isn't that what they're saying? Absolutely. That's what I'm saying, brother. And and so that is a – when you you start thinking and talking that way, basically you're getting – what you're getting is you're getting the clues and the hints – that the direction you're going is not good. No uh, shit, man. That's what, uh, like I said, we're on the precipice of something, a new era, good or bad. And like I said, I want to talk to you in January. I've taken up enough of your time, man. Two and a half hours is enough, and I got to talk to this audience a little bit before I go to bed. So, let me thank you for coming on the show. Address people. Tell them where to go. Take your time. Don't worry. I got about another twenty minutes on here, but don't kill me. Uh, you know, where should folks go? What can they do in the next? I think they should harass Donald Trump, to be honest with you, because he seems like someone who's easily harassed. So if you did a tweet, if you did a tweet bomb on Donald Trump to address the UFO issue, I bet you in like 48 hours he would, because he well, wouldn't be he, able to stand you, it. The man can't, you know. Campaign has a Twitter handle. He has a Twitter handle, the real Donald Trump. You can yeah. tweet him all day long if you want to. Yeah. If you but go to what do you fax, want folks to do? Get throw you your plugs facts on Washington.org. Fax on Washington.org. You will find the Twitter handles for hundreds and hundreds of of. Uh, Editors, reporters, and what have you, on in all of the news media, uh, you will all. Uh, and so, if you want to send some tweets to him, feel free. You'll also see the Twitter handle for Clinton and for for Donald Trump. Yeah, get Lester Holt. And, and of course, NBC News. Send them some tweets and say we'd like you to ask uh, Secretary Clinton about the ET issue and the Rockefeller Initiative. Feel free. Uh, go to Paradigm Research Group. You can you can click on a Clinton ET media coverage. You can. Read all of this coverage. You can you can see the clips. You can see the chronological progress that's going on. You can see you can get a visceral uh, sense of what's happened in the last two years. And 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 with that, you might start to understand what I'm talking about. Without that, it's a little hard to grasp this. I understand that. You're going to say, why is it anything different than it was before? Because you haven't read those stories. In other words, the print media has jumped in. The, the television media hasn't yet. Right, right, right. When they jump in, pretty much it's game over. Um, and then the Rockefeller Initiative documents are there. That link is there. Uh, and that's pretty much what's most important right now. Okay. Um, you want to support uh, you know, Paradigm Research Group? We can use all the funding we can get. So go to the contribution page and uh, do your thing there. Uh, and But most importantly, just pay attention. Uh, pay attention. Follow along. And start thinking about what you would do uh, post-disclosure. What would you do the day after, the week after, the month after, the year after? Once the announcement is finally out, what would you do? And, and start thinking about how you might participate in, 
any number of reformist movements which will emerge post-disclosure, which you'll have a lot of galvanized people with the Internet at their fingertips who are basically saying, okay, enough is enough. We're going to fix this. Yeah. We're going to fix the country. We're going to fix our international relations. We hope other countries are going to do the same. We're going to get this planet in order. Uh, we're part of a galactic civil, you know, a massive galactic collective, galactic civilizations, and ours is like a, a perkaka. And so let's fix it. Yeah. Uh, do you want to be part of that? Start thinking about that in advance, because I believe that day is coming pretty soon. And uh, well, well, better we'll safe than sorry. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, All right, Steve. What's the website? One more time. Give it to us. Paradigm, P-E-R-A-D-I-G-M, ParadigmResearchGroup.org. That's where it's All right. Thank you very much, man. I really do appreciate it. I had so much fun talking to you. I hope I didn't come off as an asshole. I just like asking kind of (laughs) contrarian questions. I know know your history. You've you've contributed a lot to this thing. You have a lot to be proud of. uh, Thanks, man. I appreciate it. uh, After disclosure as well. Oh, you bet your ass I will. I'm going to be right up in it. Good. All right, man. Thank you very much for coming on the show. You can uh, hang up whenever you like, and I'm going to talk to the audience and say good night. So thanks again for coming on the show. Good night, Tim. Bye-bye. Good night. There you go, folks. There was Steve Bassett, Paradigm Research Group, disclosure advocate. Interesting conversation. Uh, I'm tired. Jesus, that took two hours and 40 minutes. That was a long conversation. Um, I am still hopeful for disclosure, but we'll see if – it happens in the next few months. I have a feeling we're going to be following this story for quite some time. And I enjoy talking to Steve so much. I want to get him back on the show after the election in the future. Hopefully he's not moving to Europe, and uh, we can talk about what the hell might happen if Hillary Clinton gets elected uh, and see where things might go. I'm, I'm more optimistic about that than I have been in a long time, uh, UFO disclosure. So Paradigm Research Group, that's Steve's website. Of course, I teased here... Uh, that I would tell you about season 10. I don't know much to tell you about as far as dates. Obviously, the guest for the premiere will be Jim Mars. I meant to call Jim in the last week and get that set up uh, and have a date for you, but I didn't. But the, I guess the news that I want to share with folks, of course, is that uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, that uh, season 10 is going to be the last of the seasonal formats for Banal of America Audio. It's the end of an era in a sense I just feel like I made this decision actually like three years ago, believe it or not, in like April of 2013, 2014, something like that. I said, well, when I get to season 10, we're going to wrap it up at season 10. And uh, I revisited that decision uh, the subsequent April. And I said to myself, I think I was in season eight then. Yes, you've absolutely made the right decision. We'll wrap it up on season 10. And, uh, even though I've interviewed some amazing folks in the last few years, particularly like Red Pill Junkie and Brent Swanser, talking to those guys were the, some of the few times when I really paused and was like, wow, shit, man, I don't know if I want to shut this thing down. But at the same time, I feel like this whole idea of a seasonal format, we've we've outgrown it in a sense. It's kind of like uh, we've become too beholden to the traditions of it. And I feel like with my own personal obsessive-compulsive disorder, as I've been telling people, because a lot of folks have known for the last few months that season 10 was going to be the last of these seasonal runs for the show. It's like I can't do a season 11 or a season 12. I can't end sort of this whole cycle on a season 12. It doesn't make any sense. So if I 
get past season 10, I'm going to have to commit to like five more years of, of, of the show, which I do love, but which has sort of like fundamental problems in the, in the process of developing it and whatnot, if that makes any sense. You know, I've always envisioned the program as sort of like putting out albums uh, each season, and now I want to sort of do something different. You know, maybe like if, if, if the seasonal format has been uh, like putting out albums, then, then maybe go into some sort of way of doing the show. It would be almost like you're on tour, where instead of doing a season, I would just do a year of shows or a season of shows in like the summer. I know that makes no sense. <laughs> when you put it that way, but I think you can understand what I'm saying. We'll do like a winter classic of of programs, uh, you know, for 13 weeks or something like that. I have no idea, but I feel like uh, change is in the air. And uh, season 10, which will be coming at you in October, I'm not going to wait another four months to uh, to launch season 10 because now that I've kind of announce that we're going to end the seasonal format with season 10. I want to really do something awesome with this. So that's the plan going forward. And I think part of the reason why you haven't heard from me since May is that I've wanted to kind of get my ducks in a row and figure out exactly what the hell I wanted to do with what will be the final season of BOA Audio season 10. So now that I've kind of figured all that out, we're ready to move forward. And that will happen in October. And I think you're going to see some awesome stuff from us. I think, uh, I would like to have all of your questions answered, but being that this is a paranormal program, I think it's safe to say that none of your questions will be answered in the final season of BOA Audio, which is season 10. That's going to be coming at you in October. I've had a crazy year, folks. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I work full-time in the paranormal now. It's very difficult to do a podcast that's also paranormal. Uh, It would be like if I worked in the furniture business and had a furniture podcast. It would make no sense. So it's it's very taxing on me in a lot of ways. And I I really do love the show, but it's time to change things up a little bit. And that's what's going to happen following season 10, which is, uh, like I said, going to come at you in October. I don't know what else to say. Don't be sad. It's not like some kind of sad thing. It's just I need the program to adapt to my life as I've adapted to it over the years. Um, I think on that note, what else is there to say? I will be calling Jim Mars in the next couple of weeks to try and schedule the season premiere of season 10. And uh, all of your favorites will be back for the final season. That's the plan, of course. And uh, if anyone wants to recommend guests, shoot me an email. I think I pretty much explained things. Oh, that was the other part I wanted to mention, too, actually, is the the idea of sort of, you know... When I put out the final season, season 10, I'm not sure if uh, we're not just going to roll into some new program within the next, like, two weeks, I don't think, because I've really been bitten by the travel bug in a lot of ways, and I love going to places. And this year alone, I've been to Dealey Plaza, I've been to Aurora, I've been to Shag Harbor, I've been to Salem, I've been to America's Stonehenge, I've gone to Lauren Coleman's Museum in Portland, Maine, uh... I've just gone all over the place, and I'm planning on going to Gettysburg later in the year. And I've just been bitten by this feeling of, like, wanting to experience these things. I've been sitting here talking for the last decade plus here on the program, and maybe now it's time to go and see these things. Maybe it's time to go experience these places. 
that's been kind of in my mind lately. So if you're wondering, oh, well, shit, he's going to do a season 10 and then he's just going to do another show. Maybe not. Who knows? Maybe I'm going to go start visiting more places. Maybe I'll do a an idea like, you know, when I started in all of America, I started with a list of people I want to talk to. Maybe it's time I sat down with a list of places I want to go and go and document these places for the Banal of America audience. That would be fucking awesome. So uh, I remember telling somebody who's a good friend of mine, fan of the show, and a fellow podcaster that I was like, yeah, I think season 10 is going to be it. Because uh, another thing that I want to talk about is that, you know, I want to write a book, but I don't have the time to do that if I'm doing a podcast. So he was like, yeah, you can always just do the podcast and write a book at the same time. And it's like, when would I live? When would I have a life? When would I do things? You know, it's just life gets in the way. And so I would like to do other things and not feel beholden to keep producing this show. And season 10 is the perfect end point for that. It's poetic. It brings it all around full circle for a final season. And that's what season 10 is going to be, folks. It is going to be tremendous. I mean, you know me, folks. I'm the master of hyperbole. It's going to be fucking awesome. So on that note, until October, this is Tim and all thanking you for listening. What a conversation with Steve Bassett. That was fascinating. I want to get him back on in January where we don't have to really do the whole history of Disclosure Park and just get right to what the fuck's going on right now because, you know, it's a crazy world we're living in. Who knows how it's going to change between now and the next time I talk to you. But that, of course, will be in October. So until then, this is Tim at all, thanking you for listening and signing off.